0: You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon.
1: Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we cover lots of training tips and tricks to help you get the best results out of your triathlon training, and we even throw in a little bit of zen to work on your overall balance in life and your flow. And let's quit the intro and start talking about what's going on in this episode. Okay, we have an interview with Morgan Christian about lots of open water swimming stuff, specifically marathons open water swimming. And we're talking, these are long distance swims and how you actually crew and support the swimmer, how to behave yourself on the boat (laughs) and how to fuel, how to eat, drink, sleep, everything in these mega open water swims. And then what you can do is take the information from this and condense it down to whatever you're doing. A lot of it is applicable to long distance triathlon training uh, for back to back training days, for getting along with your family and friends, and uh, Iron Man swims. It all filters down into being really useful stuff. It's a really good interview. And, I mean, man, I'm so excited to bring it to you because Morgan has done some crazy stuff. He has supported swims as long as 111 miles down a river. (laughs) How do you do that? It's really, really cool. So we have that. And also... I take you with me on the training log, in the training log, to start the big training days for, for a self-supported Ultraman, and that's a three-day event. You're talking eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours per day, three days in a row, and the volume is going up and up and up, so I take you with me on how I'm succeeding and failing at different parts of it and what it's actually like. It's really, really cool. And also, we've got some triathlon news. So let's go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, with some triathlon news, some really cool stuff has happened. Here we go. All right, at the top of the list, we have something really cool. Jesse Thomas, pro triathlete, five-time Wildflower champion, has won his first ever Ironman Ironman Wales, and Ironman Wales, is one of the hardest Ironmans out there. He showed up having never done an Ironman before, and just killed it—absolutely killed it. He was—I think—he was the only athlete to go under nine hours, at all. And for this to be his first one, really shows how well he trains and how well he gets coached. And how it all comes together. And Jesse's a really cool uh, laid-back guy, and he has been on Zentry before, actually. A really cool interview with him back in the back catalog talking about why he wears the aviator sunglasses and all that stuff. When you see an article in Triathlete Magazine, and it's got the, uh, the cartoonish-looking guy uh, wearing reflective aviator sunglasses, uh, that was written by Jesse. <laughs> and yeah everybody's really excited and happy for him because uh everybody likes jesse he's a really nice guy and uh wildflower it's not that surprising he'd do great at an iron man because wildflower i've done that race that was one of the hardest races i think i've ever done in my life it is really rugged out there in central california and he did uh he did uh, five victories it's amazing so congratulations to jesse thomas All right. Also, we have some cool news that USADA, so that's the United States Anti-Doping Association, I believe, is now testing age groupers out of competition. That means at their homes, at at their wherever, wherever they happen to be, uh, before Kona. So it looks like it's mostly Kona qualifiers. So when you uh when you do well enough in an Ironman and you qualify for Kona, uh you sign a piece of paper, you know, saying that you commit to the race and in the fine print it says and I commit to uh, being available for uh drug testing. And uh if I get drug tested, I have to uh I have to, you know, answer the call and pee in the cup. And people are very excited because there's people at the pointy end, that means the fast end of triathlon that are qualifying for Kona in the middle age age groups, uh, specifically guys starting maybe late thirties, but definitely in their forties, uh, taking testosterone. And part of the problem is that testosterone therapy is now a fad and people just can't seem to be okay with growing old. They have to, uh, you know, take all kinds of pills and supplements, stuff like that. Instead of just, uh, my opinion is, instead of eating healthy and exercising, which uh, counteracts a bunch of the feeling like crap as you get older, just cleaning up your diet uh, counteracts a lot of that. Um, people want to feel like they're uh, twenty and bulletproof again, and uh, take. Uh, supplementation of this testosterone. And a uh, huge part of the problem is, like I said, it's a fad and it's everywhere. So at Ironman Texas, in the parking lot of the grocery store that's right across the street from the Ironman Texas transition area while you're getting all your food and you're doing all this stuff, there's a low T is what they call it. Low T. You got low testosterone. They got low T therapy center right there in the parking lot. <laughs> and then on the way to... Uh, to the woodlands where uh, Ironman Texas is held. You, uh, and on my way to Iron Man, Half Ironman Galveston driving through Houston, you probably see like six billboards advertising this crap. And uh, let me tell you something. You can up your testosterone by lifting weights. It is a huge testosterone boost. And also you can fix your diet. And also, maybe I don't want my testosterone to be like it was when I was 20. I couldn't think straight. It's what they call a testosterone poisoning. You want to hump everything. You want to fight everybody and you're annoying as hell. And I, uh, I like being 40 and not having uh, massive amounts of testosterone, uh, you know, driven into my head, like a, like a nail <laughs> constantly. <laughs> you get older, you get wiser, you get more effective. You don't need Uh, Tons of testosterone to get the job done. You can just do things smarter. And hopefully, you're making more money. And uh, you can buy some speed with uh, your better salary and uh, get a nicer bike. So, uh, come on, everybody. Let's lay off the testosterone supplementation. And, uh, yeah, you have to get not only a doctor's note, but that doesn't count. If you get testosterone, you have to get... um, uh, therapeutic use, I guess, T is that's the TU. It's called a TUE uh, exemption, and uh, from USA Triathlon or for, uh, some governing body of triathlon. So, to get one of those, you don't, you're not the uh, typical person who is that. Uh, Their doctors and, and pharmaceutical companies are trying to sell testosterone to, right? Uh, As you age, your testosterone goes down. And they're like, oh, well, your testosterone's down. You need more. And that's, you know, when you go to a therapy center that's trying to make money off of you and get you involved in the fad. And the uh, (laughs) USA Triathlon is like, your testosterone's down. That's normal. Sorry. So, yeah, make sure you get a TUE before you... um, before you do testosterone. And I'm going to end my rant there by reminding you, they are testing people now at their houses at 6am. And it's awesome. I love it. I hate the fact that I may be missing out on qualifying for something. And in my life, I have managed to qualify uh, for very few things. But uh, Alcatraz, for example, I qualified for Alcatraz. I got third had a pretty big race and uh, that qualified me for Alcatraz. Um, and I went and it changed my life. It was absolutely amazing. And the, um, to be outed, outed, bumped, bumped down by somebody that's, uh, taking drugs is, uh, lame. So, uh, first off, you got to change the culture. If you hear somebody taking it and competing in a triathlon, tell them, speak up, don't be silent, speak up and say, Hey, that's uncool. And if you keep doing it, somebody's going to tell on you because now everybody knows and that, uh, may get their uh, behavior to change. All right. Woo. Enough about that. Holy crap. That was a rant. And, um, let's see. I have, uh, started using, I got some ultra baby, uh, news here. I've got three things. The, um, Ultra baby is my uh, self-supported ultra man that I'm putting on here in College Station, Texas. I'm having one guy join me for the full thing, and I think that may be enough. <laughs> it's crazy. As I get closer and closer to it, I'm starting to get uh, scared, and I'm really, I'm really thinking that I've I've started training early enough, and I'm just doing the most that I can, and so I'm good with that. And uh, an ultra man is. Uh, the original is circumvents the whole, like the big island of Hawaii, I believe. And it's a uh, oh, 6.2 mile swim and a 90 mile bike ride on day one. And then day two, it's a 170 something mile bike ride, 170 or 172. And then on day three, it's a double marathon, all nonstop. Okay, so you get to spread it out over three days, but hydration and food. And um, fatigue and sleep and all that stuff really start to play a factor. I mean, it's pretty brutal. And as I've gotten close to it, I've got my fuel uh, mostly sorted out. But I was listening to Tawny Prazak's show uh, where she interviewed the lady from uh, Osmo, O-S-M-O. And she did a really great interview talking about hydration and fueling. And she mentioned that uh, maple syrup is a wonderful wonderful uh, liquid fuel, you know, because the big thing is, oh, you got to use solid solid food, solid food, solid food. Well, if you're going hard enough, solid food is um, a bit of a problem. So what's the liquid solution? And she said maple syrup and go back and listen to Tawny's show and uh, get the full scoop on it. But anyway, I tried it. And it works and it works so well. And the way I'm using it is so detailed uh, that I want to share with everybody that will be in the next episode about using maple syrup and uh, all the different tips and tricks I figured out over doing it. And just as a heads up, like how well it worked, I uh, on Saturday, I did a 76 mile bike ride and felt fine. Oh, wait, let me back up. On Friday... I lifted weights. I did squats and quads and hamstrings and calf lifts. I did all lower body. And I about wrecked my legs on purpose. And then I ran that night. (laughs) That was Friday. I also swam in the morning. But then... uh, then, So imagine, I go into Saturday with some pretty sore legs. I went out for a 76-mile bike ride and felt fine. Absolutely fine on maple syrup. And then on... Uh, Saturday night, I went for a run and I felt so fine that I added an extra 10 minutes and ran, uh, 10 and a half miles. Um, and when you feel good and you can add in a little bit of extra time, that's a huge indicator that things are, are doing good and the, uh, doing well. And then on Sunday, I turned around and did the exact same, same thing again and did it faster than the day before. And I did it all on maple syrup uh, with the occasional Dorito for the salt and a little bit of a flavor change, but very rarely. And And that was just on the bike, not during the run. And the Sunday ride... I uh, was doing 76 miles, and I felt so good. I went and did an extra two miles. I did 78 miles because I felt fine, and I had I had a little bit of extra time. <laughs> and I was like, "Holy crap, this is unusual." And then the run, same thing. I ran ten and a half miles, and I just quit because I it was getting to be bedtime, you know. And uh, anyway. The fact that it works, it works so well that I was looking to add on extra time is huge. And, uh, you know, you can use whatever fuel you want. You got to use what works for you. Next episode, I will go into detail about maple syrup and how specifically I use it, like how much and how I mixed it and things I added like sea salt and green tea powder and things like that. Okay. So stay tuned for that. Also on the bike, I've got these, uh, Zip, uh, and, uh, SRAM makes these as well. They're, they're both the same company. Uh, I think SRAM owns it, bought it, and, uh, these return to center shifters. And so they click back. Um, it's not electronic shifting and it is manual shifting, but instead of the levers staying in one spot, when you shift at the tips of your arrow bars, they uh, click back and they're real arrow and beautiful. And I love them. And I started having problems with one of them where it went dead in a bike ride a while back and I paid to have it, uh, fixed and then it started acting up again, and I said, take this off. We've got an Ultraman coming up with uh, three days, uh, two days of just monstrous bike rides, and I can't have something uh, that doesn't work reliably, and especially because on Slow Twitch, somebody said they're called R2, R2C, Return to Center, and they said, yeah, the joke is they're called Return to Cinder because they break. <laughs> And I'm really sad because they're beautiful. And I guess they work fine for um, a lot of people. But it made me nervous. And then the left shifter, the front shifter, uh, started acting the same way. And I took it in the bike shop and said, get these off of here. We're going back to totally manual shifting. And my whole point is... Fancy stuff is awesome. Fancy stuff is great, especially if it makes you feel good and you want to get on your bike and go out and train. I I had mine for a year, these fancy shifters. Loved them. I went on and on about how wonderful they are. Um, I think you see them all the time on a lot of high-end bikes. They really are beautiful and uh, amazing shifters. But when you're going into a really important event that you've spent half of a year training for and you have a lot riding on it, and it can be a very major weak link, and what happens that day, then it's something you ought to consider downgrading from so that you just have something that works, right? The, uh, the big story as a, as a kid uh, whose dad went to Vietnam, I'm, I'm of that age, uh, the big story that I grew up hearing was you know, M16s versus AK-47s. Uh, the first, uh, first uh, generation of M16 would jam with dust and mud, uh, any at all, water, you know, stuff like that. And uh, your gun doesn't work when it doesn't fire. And so an M16 would jam. Uh, if, it, if you didn't get killed, they would just drop the M16 and pick up an AK-47 off the enemy <laughs> and use that. Because AK-47s, uh, even though they're not anywhere near as accurate um, or nice as an M16... Back then, then uh, uh, they just sh- they'll they'll shoot you know, full of mud and everything else, and they just work. And uh, that's an old story from that's kind of a bad analogy, but you just want stuff that works if something's really 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 important. Uh, there's a thread on Slow Twitch about a guy lamenting about how he drove a thousand miles uh, to do a race, and the rear derailleur hanger on his BMC snapped off, which they're designed to do under stress, so it doesn't break the the entire frame. And he, uh, hold on. I got a car coming at me. The, um, it's like a $20 piece. And if he had another one, he could have done his race, but because it's kind of a rare piece, he had to call a shop, find one, nobody had one, you know, but it's only $20. If you order one, uh, then it, it ended his race. And it sucks, you know. So uh, any kind of cheap little thing that is a major weak link uh, that you s- you're kind of suspicious about, you ought to get backup equipment or uh, fix. And that's what I did And um, with the shifters. And you should too, is my point. Um, I'm traveling all the way to Ironman Canada uh, next summer. And I'm getting, if I'm still riding my BMC, I'm getting another derailleur hanger. In fact, I think I need to get one for this Ultra Baby in case uh, something happens. Um, by the way, you can look up the Ultra Baby, Zentrathlon.com. At the top, there's a link to Ultra Baby, or you can do slash Ultra Baby. And that's uh, got the course maps on there, which I may change a little bit kind of here and there. As I get closer and closer to the race, as I get scared, the, um, the hills and uh the distances are going to stay the same pretty much. But the hills have got me really worried. <laughs> and I think Morgan off air gave me a tip. He's like, man, if this is your first one. Don't go out of your way to add in hills. Just, uh, you know, do the distance and, and just whatever it is, uh, hill-wise. And maybe that's, that's some... That, that advice, he told me that like a few weeks ago. And uh, it's just been repeating in my head. And like, mm, man... You know, like for the run, I just want to run, man. I don't want to be like screwed up. I can't run because it's got too much hills in it, and that wore me out. You know, running on flat ground, flat-ish with gentle terrain is uh, still running, man. And it's a lot more fun, in my opinion. You're actually running instead of climbing a freaking side of a mountain. Okay, then let's see. We have, well, I guess that's, oh... The other thing is, um, I really would like one more kayaker for the ultra baby. the The swim portion is on a lake here in Bryan, Texas. B R Y A N, Bryan, Texas. And uh, if you look to the west, northwest side of Bryan, you can see it. We're going to swim across the lake a bunch of times, and um, I'm looking for another kayaker just to make sure, in case that day the weather is kind of foggy or uh, the water's choppy and uh just to make everybody just nice and happy you know and uh just to settle my nerves a little bit we got enough we got two but i'd really like three just in case okay there's all that that seems like all the news let's go ahead and get started with uh morgan talking about supporting epic epic swims and man so cool talking to him. He and I both have swam across Lake Tahoe and both supported each other swimming across Lake Tahoe. And then Morgan took it to the next level and started doing supports uh, for major, major epic swims and lots of good advice in there. So let's go ahead and get started. Here we go. Welcome
0: to the next level. Hello, Morgan. What is happening?
1: Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes, can you hear me okay? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Dot com. Sibilance. Sibilance. Sibilance? (laughs) I don't know. I heard that somewhere. not even sure. Oh, gosh. It's so hot. Uh, You ready to go? Let's start recording right now. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's get going. Get going. All right, I'm here with Morgan Christian calling in from uh carlsbad the face, of, the face of the sun now i live in encinitas don't confuse encinitas with Carlsbad.
1: oh man who's who would get more upset
0: oh you know it's a good it, yeah i don't know Carlsbadians, the carls the carlsbadians <laughs> potentially would be very upset that the encinitasonians <laughs> <They're Encinitians. laughs> uh, yeah i don't even think we've got a word it's basically just people in board shorts and flip flops. Yeah, kind of the standard standard uniform through where I live.
1: So Morgan's with us today to talk about how to support and how he came to be the go to guy. It seems like for supporting long distance events, specifically swimming events, yeah. open water yeah, yeah. swims, ultra, ultra swimming, ultra swimming marathon. What what do we call it now? <laughs>
0: Marathon swimming, for the Marathon most part. Swimming. I mean, the stuff that uh, that we do with uh, Jamie Patrick is a is a different scale uh, to some degree. But I got to do uh, my very first official channel crossing um, last week, as a matter of fact. Right, supporting, supporting. Yeah, no, I didn't do the swim myself. <laughs> so who was yeah. the who was the swimmer? Uh, her name was Asha Allen. She, uh, I met her through um, Jamie's Jamie Patrick swim camp. Catalina Swim Camp last year, and she was also on crew for his uh, uh, world record attempt uh, out in the Bahamas. Right, uh, in June that I was out there for.
1: I guess it, it would so. be a good thing to let's let's start with hers because you told me earlier that hers went pretty. Um uneventful, like she just is like a machine and she just cranked this thing out. Yes,
0: yeah. And she uh,
1: Inspirational kind of <laughs> in way.
0: You know, so let's do I, one that
1: works first and then we can go into... What, what then we do can talk
0: yourself? about some of the other ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the the, um, the channel crossings themselves, you know, there's a handful of, of channels around the world. There's the Ocean 7, which is the seven major channels and um, those, uh, you know, people are trying to attack that so what are uh, some and try to hit all seven. Uh, It's the Saguaro Strait in Japan. I probably mispronounced that. The North Ireland Channel, um, Catalina, Mm -hmm. Cook Strait, the English Channel. um, How many is that? Five? Four? Five. Four or five, yeah. What about, yeah, you said Gibraltar Strait? Did you say that? I again? don't know. I don't know. I don't think Gibraltar is part of the Ocean Seven. Okay. Uh, I think, it, I, I'm not sure why, but I don't think it is. Um, I could be wrong, no. I, I wonder if there was a place we could look this up and verify. Uh, anyway, uh, so there's a handful of people. Uh, Craig Lenning, who, who you met, mm-hmm. uh, Waffle House t shirt guy. Yeah. Uh, I think he's one swim away from his Ocean Seven. So that's an accomplishment um, getting all that's seven. That's a, a big ac- accomplishment. There's also the triple crown. Um which is there's a there's more money I are not more money. More people that have uh completed the triple crown of marathon swimming than Ocean 7. The triple crown is Catalina, Cook Strait, uh or the English Channel uh and then uh the Manhattan Island marathon swim. So wait, which uh, one's Cook Strait? Is, is that the Cook Islands? Uh I think so, yeah. We'd have to look on a map. I just keep hearing it is cooked Strait. Hmm. Yeah, that's way out in nowhere. <laughs> Most of these are. I mean, um, you know, the like Catalina is pretty accessible. You know, yeah. me living down here in Southern California, and I'm surprised that I hadn't been on one before. Yeah, actually, um, I am.
1: But and that one's really close to you.
0: So, yeah, yeah, super close.
1: So, what's it like? How does how do you get word? Let's start at the very beginning. You get word via email or what? Somebody's going to swim, and can they and can you come help? How many people are they looking for? How does your name uh, so get word
0: in the hat? You know, it kind of it kind of depends on the swimmer and their immediate, um, you know, their immediate support base, right? So I think a lot of uh, a lot of the crew ends up being people that you swim with on a regular basis um, or you hang out with. Uh, and the I got onto Asha's crew uh, just cause she needed, she was looking like their kayaker couldn't make it. The original kayaker on crew couldn't Mm -hmm. make it. And so it was kind of this, it was one week away and she had sent out an email to a handful of people. Uh, and I was on, I was on the, on the list, uh, to see if there was somebody in Southern California that could, that could come kayak. Yeah. So I was like, uh, you know, when is it, you know, what are the logistics, what, you know, what's the timing and it just seemed to work out. So I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll do it. I'll come out and do it. So, you know, I think it's. You know, if you're not flying, if the swim isn't happening, you know, halfway around the world or anything, it's a lot easier uh, to get invited to those things, especially last minute. Like, especially like Catalina, because it is super close. It's a, they you don't, know, for it's a two-hour drive up San Pedro and then catch the boat. They don't throw up the bat
1: signal, but instead of a bat, it's a shark ripping a swimmer's arms off.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there is like, a I'll there's <laughs> a list. There's a list. I think it's uh, Gracie Vanderbilt. Who is the record holder for the woman's crossing from Catalina? Mm-hmm. Um, she and her husband Neil maintain maintain a list of uh, kayakers and, and uh, I think uh, miscellaneous crew folks that are available yeah Uh, well i'm going to try and get myself on that list potentially but the all of the events that i've been invited to have just been by word of mouth and you know somebody knows somebody else and you know i get recommended to go do uh to go do these things and it you know as far as as far as crewing goes i you know i've been on enough of these now that i can i can kind of do most of everything Mm -hmm. um you know uh you know for a channel crossing there's a dedicated boat pilot you know and you're in a Uh, A slightly bigger boat, but for like some of the lake stuff, like uh, crewing for Jamie or or whatever, like I can drive the boat or I can kayak or I can support swim or I can, you know, help him with his nutrition and that kind of thing.
1: So give people an idea of the different swims and uh, events that you've both swam and and crewed for. I know you crewed, (laughs) the craziest thing I've heard is you crewed. I don't know, they're all crazy. a lot of these. Uh Jamie Patrick swimming the Sacramento River, which was a hundred and something miles.
0: Right? Yep, that was that was the it was hundred and thirteen, I think, total. You know, that was with current. It was more of an adventure swim. It wasn't uh wasn't classified as a marathon swim. But um that was that was the first swim I crewed. Uh and it was it was a two day long. Two days and what, what
1: kind of boat to stay in the middle of this <laughs> cool. river?
0: Well, actually, we only had a kayak, so the the logistics of this whole thing was crazy. This that swim is all about logistics, right? Yeah. Uh, we had a like a a, a bus, mm-hmm. you know, one of those traveling, you know, luxury RVs. buses, yeah. RVs. Yeah. So we had one of those. That was the main crew vehicle, and we had um we had a doctor with us, the guy that's behind Drip Drop. I Can't remember the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy behind Drip Drop Hydration was along, uh, and then we also had um. The Big river man um, oh, Martin Mart, Martin Strell, yeah uh, hamburger, along hamburger, with, hamburger yeah Martin Strell is uh, <laughs> is is quite an icon uh, Now, that guy
1: has swam the Amazon, the Mississippi
0: <laughs> uh,
1: the, Sane, the sign the Seine yeah he's
0: done uh, some gnarly stuff he's a real interesting character too yeah, he runs he runs this thing out on Lake Powell where they do like uh, swimming uh, vacations and stuff where you go out there and you, they just sort of tour guide you around like Powell and yeah. you go swim a ton. But, uh, anyway, that was the first swim that I'd ever crewed. I'd never, um, I had never been anywhere near something like that. And it's a completely different it's, crewing for swimming is different, like crewing than crewing for like, you know, like a self-supported Ironman or the, at, like the Epic five was the very first event that I ever oh. crewed for. and
1: yes. Okay. And, Wait a minute. Let's back up. So yeah, you supported Rich Roll on the Epic Five.
0: No, well, so I was so the very first I wasn't on an Island for that one. So oh, the like very first Epic Five, yeah. I was just doing the media stuff. That's how I got uh, connected to um, Rich and Jason. And yeah. then, uh, oh, the, so you were the, doing that
1: from California?
0: I was doing that from California, but That's I right. got invited out for. The like the the official one that Jason had invited a bunch of people to. Okay. Um, yeah. There was five athletes, and then there were seven total that were sort of mixed up. There was a Nike relay team yeah. where I met a very uh, very well known uh, marathon swimmer, Michelle Macy, mm. who is an Ocean Seven. Um, She's been uh, on the show. Swimmer. People go yes. back and
1: listen to that interview. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, Michelle's basically a... it was me just asking her how the hell do you do.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I had already like started working with stuff. Jamie on some of this other stuff yeah. before I'd gone out there and. Um, uh, so that one, that one was nuts. Right. Cause that's, you know, being on crew, uh, you are, you're basically responsible for another human. Mm -hmm. Um, and being, you know, having, having done, uh, a couple of big swims myself, you know, it's interesting being on the other side of the boat, like, or, or the other side of the, the other side of the boat, the other side of the coin. Right. So, you know, as a, you know, we're swimming across Lake Tahoe, your job literally is to swim and that's it. Yeah. Swim and just and keep going. And that's, but the people on the boat and you crewed for me for that, mm-hmm. you know, the people on the boat are, you know, they're watching their, you know, watching the time they got to get the fuel prepared. They got to get stuff set up. They got, yeah. you know, and when you've got, when you're talking about open ocean and, um, and the dangers that are involved with that and like being up against mother nature, it's a little bit different than a couple of guys in a powerboat on, on Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, the The danger and like the moving parts, I think for like an official channel swim are a little bit uh, a little bit different, um, you know because you've got official observers on board uh, to make sure that the swim goes off um, right. uh, under the under the marathon swimming rules um, and then you know that and everybody's you know you've got a handful of people on on the boat that are you know busy milling around doing stuff, keeping the show moving I've, um,
1: I'd forgotten about that you actually crewed. For one of the Epic Fives, when had five people on it, which I, that's actually probably harder than, than
0: it was one rough. Or two I, was, I was getting by because we had to get on planes and jump between yeah. islands. So I crewed, I started off crewing for Jason, uh-huh. uh, Jason, Jason Lester, Lester. Yeah. for the first couple of days. And then um, we all kind of cycled around a little bit. I mean, technically, there was a bunch of us. Each one of the athletes had their own crew, but uh-huh. we were kind of out there for everybody. And then the last couple of days, um, I crewed for uh, Christian Isaacson. Oh, he's um, a famous guy. Yeah, too. Yeah, so, he's, he's pretty awesome.
1: Um, okay, and then uh, you've been on both sides of the boat, as we'll say. You, <laughs> uh, you have swam across Lake Tahoe. which In
0: 2012? In 2012. And, and, so, and so have you, and, and I crewed, I crewed, I crewed
1: for you. You saw yep. me do it. Uh, you crewed for me, and then you go, I got to do this. And then you crewed, or you swam yep. it. I, mm-hmm. was, I was a failure as a uh, crew um, because you
0: got seasick. I got seasick
1: and I'm laid <laughs> okay. out on the boat and I've never been seasick in my life. And what I figured out, I was, um, we do this thing when you, when you swim, you, you can swim next to the swimmer, kind of like pacing them, um, just for company and to make them feel not so alone, I guess. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of neat when you're swimming to have another person in the water with you. I I think the other people on the boat are usually swimmers and they can't stand it that somebody's having so much fun. So they want to be swimming
0: it. and they're not. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, uh, so it's like schooling, like fish, it's kind of neat. And then, um, you, uh, I got water, cold water in one ear and not in the other, and that makes your inner ear, which does your balance, uh, get weird. Uh, one side contracts, and the other side doesn't, and I ended up getting kind of seasick. And then, um, uh, okay, so there was that, Yeah, the epic fight, that was nuts. And then,
0: so I did the, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you the, sh- I'll give you the list, I'll like okay. bust down the list in order uh i crewed the epic five jamie's uh sacramento swim uh-huh. i've crewed two tahoe crossings um uh er, jamie's attempt at doing the tahoe three sixty um oh yeah yeah so that's I've a crew yeah he was gonna he was gonna go around the, like the interior topic. we'll talk we'll talk about that one in a minute uh-huh. um because those are the only two times that um this uh, that swim and then the Bahamas swim are the only two times that we've had to pull the swimmer out of the water. Yeah. Um. So the Tahoe three hundred and sixty and then uh, what was after that and then I think the next one after that actually was the Jamie's uh, world record attempt in the Bahamas. Right. So how how long how far was that? Uh, the stated swim distance was supposed to be seventy eight miles, um, and we got like thirty five and change, give yeah. or take.
1: So, uh, what happened with that was the this is crazy. The water was so shallow. Um, you wouldn't think about this until you actually tried it, right? That it was it was too hot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was, the water out in the Caribbean, and we were off of um, so the, there's you know we were in the Bahamas, but there's like the main Bahama island um, Nassau that everybody sort of knows about. That's where like the um, the cool big resort, the Atlantis Resort, is over there, the casinos, yeah. all that. And then we were on another island, just kind of shaved like a banana, off to the to the east, uh, called a And, um, I can't remember, um, the name of the woman, but she set, she set the record of the longest ratified swim, swimming from a to Nassau. And it was 77 miles. Um, and so Jamie wanted to go out and do one mile more. Uh, and so the, the tricky bit with this is that the water was unseasonably warm and we're in an un, an unchartable area of the Caribbean out mm-hmm. there. And there's, there's sandbars everywhere and you're out in the middle of the ocean. You're 20, 30 miles offshore. Mm-hmm. There's nothing around you and you're in six feet of water. Yeah. Four feet of water. And it's, it's, un- it's unmappable
1: because crazy. you, because it's so shallow, you can't map it. It's just, you'll wreck your boat yeah. with any boat yeah. that's big enough to map it of what, where all the sandbars are. And they move too. is yeah. uh, and-
0: is going to run aground. Yeah, that one that one was crazy. That was, you know, when Jamie assembles a crew, mm-hmm. every, most everybody on the boat can do everything on the boat, yeah. which is great because then not everybody's just doing one job or, you know. But I'll, we'll talk about that in a second, because part of the reason that uh, that I think that Catalina Crossing went so smoothly was that I had only one job. So oh, okay. it's really yeah, we'll it's just kind that. of interesting. It's an interesting uh, comparison between the two. So we'll compare the last two that I've done. We'll talk about Jamie uh, Jamie's swim out in the uh, in the Bahamas, uh-huh. and then we'll talk about Asha's uh, Catalina Crossing. Hey, wait, what's the girl's so, name again? What Asha? Asha A S H A. You can uh, AshaSwims.com. A-S-H-A. Uh, and she's she's trying to raise money for uh, some uh, uh, underprivileged parts of the world with her with her attempt. Uh, she's actually next year she's going to go swim in the English Channel. And she swam across Lake Tahoe a month ago.
1: Lots of pictures of, of a girl with one arm up in the air and yep, head <laughs>
0: behold, down in the water. That's behold the whole the excitement of marathon swimming. Yeah, splash. Yeah, that's splash. literally the best photos splash. you can ever get. That's just some. No, Jamie has the best
1: one with his fist up in the air like a victory pump. Yeah, that's, that's one of the coolest ones I've ever seen. When he, I guess that, that, that was, was from a good Sacramento. One.
0: That was the sack one. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So uh, anyway, so the Bahamas swim. You know, the, the challenge with this is that we're in, we're in the ocean, right? Um, you know, we're in, we're not in, it's not like swimming in the U S where, you know, if we have a problem, we get on the sat phone and we call the coast guard or we call the Navy. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we're very well prepared. Everybody on the crew is, uh, as a swimmer, um, and capable of pretty much doing everything. So that's great. So we had a crew of, uh, I think nine people on the boat and, uh, We knew, Jamie knew um, that the water temperature was going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we set off, we started at about 4 p.m. and set off uh, from the southern uh, part of the island. Uh, And we basically, you know, we got about two hours in, Thought we saw some sharks, there was a little bit of commotion. (laughs) Another two hours after that, Jamie runs his arm through a box jellyfish um yeah. you know we ran into jellyfish and 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 stuff here and there there wasn't a whole lot of sea life that i saw jamie probably saw a lot more because he had his face in the water um yeah but uh you know it was it was quite the adventure and i think you know getting out there and swimming through the night you know we were all everybody was up every you know when the sun came up the next morning it was it was great and jamie did a uh a pretty smoking job of getting you know kind of over the, those couple of hurdles with the jellyfish and the shark sightings and then, you know, just sort of powering through to the next morning. But it was a busy, busy night. So I, my primary job, at least for, for the first, um, uh, for the first night is I, I kayaked for about an hour and a half. We were on hour and a half shifts, which mm-hmm. I think actually now is probably too short of a shift. Um, the seas were a little bit rough and every time, and it was a bit like a washing machine. It wasn't like, yeah, it was you know, it wasn't wasn't like deadliest catch or anything. We're not in the Bering Sea, you know, trying to catch crabs. But it was when you're trying to get a human off a kayak onto a boat that's pitching around in a mm-hmm. you know, sort of a, it's not predictable. It's tough, right? So we end up, you know, I think every single one of us pitched out of the kayak um, <laughs> because you're you're trying to get on the deck. So what the kind of kayak deck. do you use? Do you back. use
1: a sit on top? Is that the yes, best time? So
0: sit on yeah, sit on top for the ocean stuff. Sit on top. You don't want to deal with. Um, and I've used both. Uh, you don't want to deal with, uh, a kayak that's full of water if yeah. you can help it. You know, the, the ocean kayaks, you know, they'll get water in them. Not a big deal. You know, it's it's what four, four inches, you know, it's not that much. Um, so, uh, you, you, know, you don't want to fill, fill a sit-in up full of water and then you got to deal with that and then you're sitting in it and yeah. uh, anyway, uh, where's the peak so, going to go, you know, where's the peak going to go, right? Well, for an hour and a half, you, you know, whatever, you but, uh. Go.
1: And then uh, stand up paddle board. I've found with those, those are so much slower than a kayak that and work that I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't the, do that for anything serious.
0: The the thing about kayaking for for a swimmer is, and there's some there's some techniques uh, to it, but you're going really slow. You're mm-hmm. literally just sitting on your butt and like splash 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 paddle paddle. paddle yeah, splash, it's splash, pretty paddle. slow. You know, it's a pretty it's it's pretty slow. And so when we talk about Osha's swim, the Channel Crossing. Uh, I'll. that was the first time that the kayak was her primary navigation point. Mm-hmm. She breathed on her right side. The captain's controls were on the right side of the boat. So he had her off to the right. She sights off to the right yeah. more comfortably than left. So she was using a kayak. So basically we had her pinned between the boat uh, and the kayak. And it's your job as a kayaker to keep yourself in line and try not to make too many drastic changes in Kayak direction because the swimmer is going to react to you. Um, so anyway, back to back to this Bahamas thing. Um, kayaked for a little bit, but my main job that night um, after I switched off with another crew member uh, named Keith Keith Metzger uh, was navigating. Right and. We were taking positions, even though we had GPS and stuff on the boat, we were taking uh, positions every 15 minutes, so I was taking the and lawn off the GPS device and then manually charting where we were, and so then have adjusting to do that heading. To hold the record or something. No, it's not, it's not It's not part of that, but um, after talking to um, after talking to Jamie's dad, who's an old sea dog, mm-hmm. um, it was, the reason that we did that is that we trust the instruments on the boat. But when you when you write things down and you have a historical work record of where you've been, then you can trust in what you can trust your navigation. And right. if something goes wrong, you have historical points. You can go back and, and try and correct. Right. So yeah. if you've got okay. a log of, of where you've been, you've got this you know really nice long and it's a lot of work. But I think for open ocean. It's definitely probably something you should do. I'm pretty sure the the captain of the outrider uh, who is our uh our pilot across the Catalina Channel mm-hmm. didn't need to do that because he's done hundreds of these things, and it's not like we're you know it's not like we can get twisted off course too uh, too quickly. The guy does it constantly so yeah. um so anyway, and what we were doing that at, with that too is we were also calling these points into shore, so calling them out to uh, to Jamie's dad right. uh, back on shore. Uh, over the sat phone, and he was keeping track of where we were. Okay. Uh, and so we were getting some feedback from him. And um, anyway, the the, uh, the entire the entire thing worked out to the point where, you know, it was a busy job. You know, every 15 minutes, and you're taking these points, and, you know, you know how this is, like going down and, and marking the points on the map or on the line, making sure that our heading is correct based on the waypoints that we'd already kind of predetermined Mm pre-designed and making sure we're not zigzagging him through the ocean because any loss in one direction or another is potentially him swimming too much. You know, we don't want to in circles and do something silly. So, um, but that's a lot of work, right? You're running around, you know, other people were taking care of his nutrition on back and forth between being on the deck and being in inside. And, uh, and so it's a lot of work and being on crew, like I said, you're out there, You've got somebody else's, you know, you're taking care of somebody else. You're telling them when to eat. You, you've, they've already got a nutrition plan. You're telling them what they're going to eat next. You know, you react to things that they're doing. Um, and so it's, it's busy and it's tiring. And uh, making sure you have enough crew available to kind of people rotate jobs um, potentially and for people to just get some rest. A 15 or 20 minutes of just laying down and doing nothing with your eyes closed it can be amazing for some of these 24-hour um, plus yeah, uh, uh, cruising adventures, uh, especially going overnight. Like if you're not if you're not practiced and staying up around the clock, which I am not, um, getting getting off your feet for a few minutes is is key. Yeah, uh, because then then you're you're good to go uh, for the yeah, next round.
1: People may not know this. You swim if it's a continuous swim. Yeah, people swim straight through the night.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, well both the last two swim. So both Jamie swim uh right. in the Bahamas and then uh Asha's swimmer overnight. Um and that helps, right? Because if you start off, you know, Jamie was gonna have to swim all night through the day and then into the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um so it was gonna be a long it was gonna be a long, long trip for Jamie, but you know, a Catalina uh crossing, depending on weather, is anywhere from like, you know, ten to fifteen hours or whatever. Right. Um so you know, most of those start at night. And I think that's probably due to, um, you know, there's less exposure for the yeah. swimmer. You don't have to worry about burning like crazy. And then um, I think it's like less boat traffic, right? There's some logistical reason why they, they start the uh, crossings at and night. if you can't see the sharks, then you're not Then scared. you can't be afraid of those sharks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> you know, Jamie's, at night. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's swim. I, uh, I stayed up around the clock. I'd been o- o- up for over 24 hours. Um, I stayed on the deck, the, the crew chief, uh, for Jamie swim wanted to keep me up on deck, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just because like I was one of the more, uh, experienced, uh, crew members that were there. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, because we were in shallow water and I was, you know, I was ready to get in and out the other pilot, um, and kind of, uh, uh, co-chief, uh, was, was asleep. He was, uh, he was napping before his, his boat driving shifts. So, mm-hmm. um, while, while, uh, the crew chief was was up and driving. A guy named Matt Richardson. Um, he wanted to keep. He wanted me be on deck. So I was napping on the deck. You know, I was trying to get little cat naps here and there. But uh, uh, I stayed up till about eight thirty the next morning. Um, when after the sun came up, we got him through the first like a few feeds after the sun came up, uh, and everything was good. So I said, "All right, I'm." You know, the other navigator, uh, Keith, was awake and firing on all cylinders. I'm like, "I'm going to go take a nap." So I went down to go take a nap and uh round ten after ten or so I heard the familiar rumblings of uh somebody being pulled out of the water. So I ran back up on deck and uh ran up to uh to Jamie coming around the back side of the boat to get on the boat. Yeah. Uh and he basically the the uh the end of the swim was he became started to become slow to answer a little bit. Yeah. And uh, was having having hard times answering simple questions mm-hmm. and uh you know just signs like his stroke changed uh J- jamie has a very and you know this you've seen him swim he's got a very distinctive uh form yeah you know and, he, and he's and he's a machine uh-huh. um, like clockwork and he's quick and you know he starts doing things that they're a little uncharacteristic uh to his his swim style and and he was having a hard time tracking the boat and stuff. And so they called the shore, got some input. This all happened while I was asleep for about an hour and a half. Um, and uh, then that just, they, they made the call uh, that it was, it was too dangerous. You know, he may, we may, be, may have been able to push him for another two or three hours. Uh-huh. Uh, they immediately, when they were starting to consider pulling him, they were looking for um, chartable dry land for him to get up on. To finish the swim right, so yeah. the marathon swim has to begin on dry land and end on dry land. Right. So the if if we take them out of the water in the middle of the ocean, it's the, it's not yeah. it's a long training swim, and that's all it is. Uh, so they were looking for a place to take <laughs> them, and there was literally nothing that was in reach. Uh, it was just going to get hotter and hotter. And um, so wait so a minute, that,
1: if you drop somebody in the water off the boat and then pick them up, even if it's a hundred miles away on a boat, that doesn't count. Nope. That's weird. There's a lot of weird rules, right? Okay, so there's no wetsuits, that, that, which doesn't matter about your body fat or how cold or hot you get, right?
0: Well, it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, you know, that we we read the rules. So part of part of these official swims is that the rules are read um, by the observer, the official rules. Right. Um, and so you know, the swimmers allowed one porous wetsuit. Uh, they're allowed to use channel grease. One one set of goggles. One you know one cap. Um, nothing, one porous,
1: nothing, one porous, one porous suit.
0: swimsuit. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so nothing that aids in the retention of body heat or yeah. flotation or, uh, forward, uh, forward progress. Um, you know, and there's, there's, there's occasions too. Like if you, if, if the swimmer bumps the kayak, uh-huh. it's not the end of it. But if we touch the swimmer in any way, uh, it's over, right. We can provide no assistance. And so the you know, as opposed to the like when you and I cross Lake Tahoe, where we're handing handing bottles over the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, the all of this, all of the last ones that I've I've done is the the uh, the nutrition's gone overboard with uh, on a rope.
1: Oh yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, I, so. that. I knew there's this thing in cycling called the sticky bottle, where the car pulls up next to the cyclist and you hang
0: on to it. Yeah, yeah, you see this <laughs> hang all to the it.
1: time in uh, the the Tour de France, right? and they they're talking to the cyclist and they're holding a bottle and the guy in the car is holding the bottle and the cyclist is holding the bottle they're holding different parts of the bottle and you can tell that they're kind of pulling the cyclist along just <laughs> it's a point, it's 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 useless and it makes almost no difference but but that's cheating like in 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 uh swimming
0: yeah and uh so you know don't the marathon get in that situation marathon so you, swimming
1: culture you throw it over with a rope right tied to the yeah. bottle Well, what if you want yeah, to throw them solid
0: food uh then it goes over in either in a container mhm or you figure a way to uh, you know to get it into their hands without without touching them. Yeah. Um, there's probably, there's different techniques. Most of the I mean the last couple of ones that we were feeding off of the line, um, there was no solids being passed, so it was all liquid nutrition. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're gonna hand them a you know a small a, like a treat or a piece of fruit or something, mm-hmm. you know just hang, you know hanging overboard and just having them club you know uh, pluck it out of your fingertips is probably not, uh, not in violation. Um, but if you were to hang on, if you were to sticky, uh, sticky bottle them, it's, and the observers are, you know, the beauty of it is, is that, um, while they, they are there to help support the swim Uh in a very specific way, they want everybody to succeed, but they're also, they're the pure enforcement of the rules. And the marathon swimming community is very much, um, they're yeah they're Uh, they're, stickler for the rules they're very stickler very much sticklers about the rules and you know for good reason and that's fine you know my lake tahoe crossing was in a wetsuit that doesn't count right doesn't count uh, as as a marathon swim but you know wetsuit or not you know it was it's it's hard to do and even the reason my ass
1: off even with the wetsuit on
0: yeah Yeah. and and, well my swim was stiffer than yours yeah um and so you know and even you know Craig Lenning, uh, very, you know, very well-known marathon swimmer, uh-huh. literally asked, you know, he said, you know, are you going to you gonna swim in the wetsuit tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, because well, he happen to be up there. And I was like, sure, you know, maybe I think so. That's the plan. You know, I have the option to not do it, and I may take that at the last minute. And he literally said, there's no shame in that game. This is a long swim, and that water is cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, him already having done a crossing a couple of days before uh that actually that that freed me up right it made the entire swim accessible yeah, but I think it was you know, like
1: 58 no it was it was when yeah. got in there was pockets it was around 60 and then there was pockets for me that were around 58 uh
0: i was remember i was freezing to death the outdoor the at, the outside ambient temperature was in the the high 30s when i got in the water i was shivering to death before yeah. i got in it was um okay, but so you know anyway. i Well, as part of being part of the, a part of, uh, you know, being part of people's crew and being invited to come do these things, Uh I, I enforce, you know, I help enforce those rules as, um, to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, luckily I've never been in a position where I thought that I even, you know, had a minor infraction. So, um, I believe in the, I believe in the rules. Um, but I also love swimming and, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's cool to swim long distances, you know, if wearing a wetsuit gets you in the water, then, all means go for it
1: yeah you got to be safe first you know yeah
0: yeah and you know it's uh every everybody's everybody's uh measurement of what's hard uh is completely different yeah you know well talk about the grease this uh uh, what's channel grease uh it's usually like a mixture of lanolin uh, and sunscreen Mm -hmm. or desitin or something i use um uh i just go over to like walgreens and get the cheap diaper rash cream right and it's then, got a ton of zinc oxide in it. Yeah. Um, and for Jamie's swim, we had basically like lanolin and this like jellyfish stuff, um, and then the, uh, desitin, kind of all mixed together into so this thing.
1: Once the swimmer's in the water, and they went, uh, this stuff protects against jellyfish stings too, right? A little bit. And then, well, the
0: desitin, the actual the desitin is mostly just to uh, yeah, it does help against some jellyfish. It's mostly around, it's mostly around chafing and sun exposure. Yeah, because the salt. Um, so. Yeah, because yeah. in the salt, like versus swimming in fresh water, uh, you know there's salt in the ocean and it's abrasive. And after you've been, you know, rotating your arms and rubbing, you know, your arm inside of your arm against the side of your body across your armpit, yeah, for 12 hours, it, you get a little raw. So, yeah. you know, like yeah, the swimmer can reapply, uh-huh. um, but we can't help them. Right. I was about to ask that. So, what do you? How do
1: you? How do you get it to them so that they can reapply it?
0: Uh, it's, you know, the best, the best way that I've seen is you get whatever you're going to pass them uh-huh. in a zip, you know, like fold a Ziploc bag around uh-huh. your hand and like get whatever goop you need and turn it inside out. And then when, when uh-huh. you can and when it's appropriate, you literally just like, you know, let them, you know, get it into their hand. They can fold it over one hand, uh-huh. uh, and then just glob it on the best they can in the uh-huh. water. And
1: um, let's talk about, uh, you mentioned it briefly about nutrition, Mm-hmm. Um, like liquid versus food, like what have you seen people use for food? Um, well, most, the, and how most often?
0: everybody, yeah, most everybody, it seems that, uh, so I fed on 20 minutes and Jamie used to feed on 20 minute interval, but it looks like I've stretched my feeds out to half hour. It seems like half hour is the right amount. Cause um, it, to eat, you got to
1: stop and that slows
0: down your time. Well, yeah. And you drift. So you yeah. got You're fighting currents and things. That was, you know, every and it, time. And uh, it's
1: hard, right? You got to. We did this. Uh, you eat like it's funny. Like you eat like an otter. We got a video of me eating in the Lake Tahoe yeah. like that. And I'm like there's, I'm an otter.
0: <laughs> yeah, I you know the I think I, I'm I'm starting to become a big believer in in liquid nutrition uh-huh. uh, for for swimming, right? Because. Yeah, the joke is like you evaluate everything you're going to eat for its nutritional content and how easy it's going to be to throw up. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> if you're eating, like, if you're literally like yeah. non on a friggin' pork chop, yeah, it's not going to be, you know, you oh, might be getting yeah. some protein, but it's also going to be tough on your gut. Yeah, and if you got to barf that up later, it's just bad. You know, it's okay. gross. That's fine. Um, so. You know, uh, so far, I think mostly everybody's everybody's got their own concoctions. Jamie's got his little um, mixture of stuff that he makes. Um, but, you know, I keep hearing people are using, like, Perpetuum yeah, uh, and things like that, and that seems to work. I use, you know, maltodextrin and chia seeds and, you know, whatever electrolyte mix I want, like Gatorade or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll, I'll put that into different bottles. But I for my crossing, I ate mostly solid. I was eating avocado sandwiches. and
1: Oh, yeah, uh, they were, yeah.
0: And uh, when I did, uh, I I got my, uh, my wife carried a crew for me for a a 10 mile uh, solo uh, as part of a a relay down here in La Jolla. Uh And uh, I ate like potatoes and, and pasta. Yeah, well, I, had to ex- sure. I had to exit yeah. the water to be counted because it was at the the event was supposed to be done as a relay, but they have a solo division. Mm-hmm. So you go swim a mile and you come back. You got to get out and somebody's got to count you. Mm-hmm. So I'd get out of the water and carry come running up with like a buffet. Yeah, I'd be like grab, 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 shove it in my mouth, That's chew it up. Good family back in fun, the
1: right there. Were your boys watching? You got two?
0: No, they they came down. They came down later. They saw the last couple of miles. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but I was lubed up with uh, with desitin. And desitin worked for that swim uh-huh. for me. It didn't work great. Um, but swimming with salt water, too, you got to keep your mouth closed. And, oh, like, alligator-
1: yeah, right? Because there's the whole something. thing with uh, dying Nyad, right? And just like, because we saw, everybody saw that thing happen, where, uh, yeah, your tongue swells up. Real yeah, bad. it
0: gets all, like, the sides, of it just, it's like, it just gets, your mouth just gets chewed up. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's super weird. It makes it, you know, it's just weird. It's, yeah you know, to to counteract that, Jamie was uh, swishing with scope, like a watered-down scope. So he could put a little put a little scope in a in a water bottle, and pass it over with his feed so he How does that What does his that mouth. do? How does that count? Uh, well, it, it, it basically, it keeps whatever bacteria or whatever down because uh-huh. most water, especially out here in La Jolla, the water's not so clean. Yeah. You know, all the all the, uh, the seals and the, and the birds flying around, but it just helps the soothe and whatever. So I don't think it actually counteracts it, but it makes your mouth feel a little bit better. Oh, I could uh, see that. Okay. There's a little bit of antiseptic in there, you know, it like kills some germs and it, it just helps uh. i remember i got a funny story when for my food
1: uh at lake tahoe you guys uh, i put on the boat you know i had like gatorade and maltodextrin i don't know whatever insure i think yeah not not insure uh perpetuum i think i use a lot of perpetuum and stuff and uh and then i also had a, a clear plastic <laughs> container of store-bought um cookies chocolate uh, cookies <laughs> right and it was a mix of cookies this is yeah. my this is so funny and i got so <laughs> i got mad just, but i didn't get mad i'm just like this, this is, is what happened.
0: you remember about that yeah swim. <laughs> there's
1: there's two things i remember about that swim where, well there's three things and, and uh i go uh in the, the box of cookies was huge and maybe there was like two of them or something like that right there's a whole bunch of there were, like 20 cookies in there or something like that and they uh there was a mix of like chocolate chip and raisin and maybe like macadamia nut or something like that and i said uh yeah, I'll have a chocolate chip cookie. We're like, I don't know, eight hours in or something like that. And uh, um, There aren't any. And I'm like, what? Garrett and I ate all your damn cookies. Yeah, you and this <laughs> other guy ate all my freaking chocolate yeah. chip cookies. And uh, I was like, well, I guess I'll take a, a raisin or whatever was left. you know. I was like, and I, I went face back into the water. I'm like, God damn it. Those guys ate my freaking chocolate chip cookies. Jerks. And then yeah. uh, the other thing that was really funny was uh, you were on kayak support and And we were swimming in the night and I had a glow stick um, attached to the, Jamie and I had glow sticks attached to our back of our goggles as we were swimming. And then uh, we had just started. We had just started. uh, I'm 20 minutes in or something like that. And uh, you pulled up next to me on the kayak and your kayak was all decorated with glow sticks like a Christmas tree. And then uh, it's it's funny how how proud we were of our glow stick (laughs) arrangements. (laughs) There's so much more (laughs) important stuff going on. I know. And then, uh, you go, hey, dude, you're going to have to hurry up. <laughs> like
0: that. And I felt so bad because you took that seriously. <laughs> I took it seriously for a minute. I go, dude, I'm not, I am
1: not going to go any faster <laughs> than this. I'm going to go as slow as I possibly can. And then later, you Take told me a, you were yep. just kidding. But I was like, <laughs> like whatever. And then the last thing was when I came up on land on the other side after almost 14 hours or whatever swimming. Kai, who was, what do you think, he was like five? He was probably five.
0: He was five or six, I think. Yeah, I five or that. six
1: at the time. Um, Jamie, oh no, you, you're on video going, check out what your dad did. And I, I'm standing there. I just waddled up on shore and uh, uh, very slowly. And then, uh, go, check out what your dad did. He swam all the way across this lake. And then Kai goes, no, he didn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I was there. I watched him do it.
1: And then he ran off, like, playing in the water. <laughs> yeah, because the kids don't care. They're like, ah, I was whatever. like, God damn it, man. What? <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's talk about the uh, Asha. Is that her name? Asha? Yeah, Asha. You want to talk this about hers? swim? Because you called me after the swim was over, and you were, like, so impressed, like, how well this one went off. And you know what's funny is this one, it's ridiculously long, right? It's, like, 20-something miles.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit. I think it's right, right around the same distance as Lake Tahoe. I'm yeah, not, I'm not sure but...
1: You know, compared to some of the other stuff that you've done and seen, it was actually kind of like, kind of kind of shorter, you know, than 111 yeah. or, you know, 70, whatever. So, um, but you said this one went off like, was this her first time to cross it?
0: Yeah, this is her, so she swam across Lake Ta- Lake Tahoe about uh-huh. a month ago, and then this was her first official channel crossing. And right. she did this in preparation because she wants, you know, her dream is to go swim the English, cha- English Channel. So, um, yeah, so, so she's, she in, had Catalina. She's, she's in the group. She lives
1: Right, she yeah. just swam Lake Tahoe like a month ago. She knows what she's doing, right? So
0: yep, she swam with Jamie in the Bahamas. Yeah, um, and so like, and she's quick. She's got she's got amazing form. She's very smooth in the water. It Says on
1: her website that um, when she was younger, she almost qualified for the Olympics. She was trying to, and then um, she's
0: got game. She's yeah. got game, and I and I think on top of it, she's you know, if you think about, it, if you stop and think about like what marathon swimming is you got to be a little nutty to be able to stick your face in the water and go through these long periods of mm-hmm. um, uh, just uh, – uh, you're excluding yourself from input. I, uh, uh, I can't think of the right phrase for this. Yeah, it's like um, your isolation chamber. Yeah, you're like in an isolation chamber for 13-plus hours yeah, you know, in weird. some cases. And, yeah. and it's like it takes a certain somebody to keep – to keep themselves composed and together. And what really struck me uh, uh, about Asha's swim, and not that I'm not saying that like Jamie's certainly not a complainer. Uh-huh. Um, Jamie is is one of the strongest swimmers I've ever seen in my entire life, and he's uh-huh. got his game together. Um, oh yeah,
1: and you know what? I mean, if you're a swimmer, like you and I are both swimmers, right? Like, you're in the water. It's it's the best place in the world to be. Like, the mindset is, like, even if it sucks, you're still in the water. It's
0: so much fun. Yeah, like, fun. who gets to do this cool? Like, all yeah. of a sudden, you're doing the most ridiculous thing. You know, like, this is amazing. Yeah, and it's I so think ridiculous it, all the if same you start,
1: It's like being on the bicycle, right? Like, bicycle's so much fun. So if you start complaining, that's usually a sign that your you're fueling is off, right? Like you're Yeah, it's
0: usually some other thing that, that sort of tips you off. But yeah. what struck me about Asha's Swim, and this is, you know, um, she started the night, I, you know, she swam in the night uh, in the Bahamas and stuff. And mm-hmm. so um, she, there was just zero, like every single one of her feeds was turned over. There was no extra chit chat. And she was just, she was super polite, thanked, you know, for, you know, thanking everybody for a, at every, at every feed. Mm-hmm. And she was just quick and very purposeful about the entire thing. And not, I never heard her make one complaint. And, and was you she know, trying to set know, a speed
1: record or anything
0: no 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 um she uh she just like she was on on task yeah. and and in and in a mental she's she's big into um uh yoga and meditation and stuff like that mm-hmm. so uh she's i i think that she just basically just got into the zone and stayed there it was amazing and she like even you know from from the time I got in the I got in the kayak uh, about 1.30 in the morning mm-hmm. after the first so the first shift I had split my kayaking shift uh, with another another kayaker um, and we were doing three hour uh, rotations yeah so when I got in the kayak with her about 1.30, I was like wow her form is you know perfect
1: right good and turn what I you're got- looking for you've told me this a bunch of times what you're looking for is the w- you know, everybody has a different turnover rate, but mm-hmm. you want to see very little, uh, or what you want to notice is, a, is falling apart, and like the, the, the turnover rate starting to slow down is a bad sign
0: they slows down or speeds up. It could be indicative of something else like yeah. panic or just, well, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so every, you know, part of the observer's job is they take stroke counts every once in a while and they share that, you know, or even yeah. whoever whoever's on deck is concerned can stop and you just look at your watch and you count the number of strokes yeah. they take over a minute. Uh-huh. And, you know, most, uh, you know, I have a relatively low stroke count mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, 50 to 60 is kind of the the yeah, norm yeah. i yeah, guess and you know, people forget people. like you're you're going
1: a long ways
0: <laughs> so yeah it's okay to, g- to slow down you you just a scratch yeah, right yeah. so um but she was she was just like a machine and she just didn't even when she you know the last hundred yards she uh-huh. just had the same smooth form it was amazing and not one not one peep from her about her uh,
1: count on average
0: do you think 50, mid 50s yeah 50s the, the entire time just it was like amazing a, like clockwork yeah, and she she approached it, and not that you expect there to be any drama, but there was there was no issues on the boat. We mm-hmm. had like nothing went wrong. We didn't lose anything overboard. Nobody fell out of the kayak. Like it was just as crazy. It was this crazy, very well orchestrated um, yeah. event, and I think a lot of it has to do with having um, a professional boat pilot who's done. There's two official boats. Uh, the bottom scratcher, who mm-hmm. we affectionately call the butt scratcher, yeah. Uh, the bottom scratcher, and then the outrider uh, out of San Pedro. I think those are one of the two. The I didn't remember some more. I don't know for the the butt scratcher. So they're they're the boats, the same captains and crew um, that uh, do the Catalina Channel crossings. Mm-hmm. So they're really good at it. They do. Surprisingly, there's like you know. I think I was talking to the uh, one of the one of the crew members of the outrider, and they they had already done thirty crossings for the year. Damn. So like it's it's a thing, and not all of them are successful. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people swim across that, and it's it's actually you know it's an attainable swim. Um, and again, but,
1: wait, I'm, I'm I'm looking at these pictures of her swimming, and I am you know she's got dark goggles because of the sun wherever she's swimming. Again, you said one pair of goggles, like you can't switch goggles. She can switch. Okay, but you can't.
0: Like, you're you know a pair of it's just a pair of goggles. Like you can't wear um yeah actually i you could probably could wear a, like a big snorkeling mask if you wanted but no snorkel
1: yeah
0: um, okay yeah so she you switch guys she's starting clear because it's dark and then you put on some uh, okay. dark ones when the sun comes right. up i was confused um, for so to, i'll give you kind of the 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 general overview of kind of how this worked uh for her swim just start to finish we uh i drove up i took uh i worked from home that day and left uh Left to drive up San Pedro about uh, 2.30 or so. And I swung by and I picked up um, Lynn uh, Kubasic, who is an uh, observer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's also on the board for the Santa Barbara Channel uh, Association, Swimming yeah. Association. They, they do the Santa Barbara Channel Islands. Um, so picked her up on the way up. She lives in Laguna Beach. Um, uh, she's also a long-term uh, crew member for Jamie and Patrick, too. Yeah. Uh, so I've been around here quite a bunch, uh, quite a bit. So we... Picked her up, drove to San Pedro. We met um, all of the other crew members and support swimmers. Asha's uh, son, Noah, her husband, David, up at, uh, up at a restaurant up there, had some to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the little fanfare, we got our stuff and got on the boat. <laughs> that was literally it. Yeah. And then we had a, about a two-hour boat ride out to uh, Catalina. Um, and, the, and the conditions were pretty good. You know, It wasn't too rough. We were motoring out there. We got out to Catalina around 10-ish. Um, and as soon as we got in there, we, uh, on our way out, uh, Lynn, uh, the, uh, primary reserver read the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all signed basically, um, the form for the, the officials form for the swim that we understood the rules. And, you know, we're all present. We're all part of the adventure, uh, being on crew. We're all, you know, responsible for, uh, for a piece of something. So we do that. Uh, we get out there, uh, we're good to go. And, uh, so Asha goes ahead and changes, gets her stuff together, gets her lights on and, uh, gets her, gets her stuff together. And the, uh, uh, the boat backs up. Uh, they do it out of one of the coves where the boy Scouts go out to camp a lot. Oh yeah, that uh, yeah. just seems to be the, the jumping off point. So anyway, back up, she jumps in the water and swims, you know, 20 yards to shore, gets clear of the water line. Uh, the, uh, Asha and the captain, Uh, agree that it's time to start the observer hits the hits the thing she walks in the water and gets going um and that's it's very little fanfare just like when when we did our swims right it's yeah. There's no cheering. There's no cowbell. <laughs> there was nobody. <laughs> we, just, we might have been get, trespassing. <laughs> we were probably on somebody's property we we're gonna get shot. But yeah, you just walk in the water, you get going. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, the crew, you know, the crew, the the crew of the boat and you know, the swimmers crew, you know, obviously clapping and cheering, you know, we're off we're off yeah. on this adventure. So she got in the water about ten thirty, um, and started swimming. Uh and we went, you know, the conditions were pretty good, but it started to get a little bit rough in the middle of the night. We had like one to three foot swells, mm-hmm. um, and those weren't too bad. They were timed pretty well, uh, but it's, you know, certainly surreal being out in a kayak. Next, you know, you're 20 feet, 20, 30 feet off to one side of a relatively, you know, mid-sized fishing boat. Yeah. Uh, and you have, there's somebody in the water between you and the boat. And these swells come through and you see, you see the swell or feel the swell getting ready to come. You know, it pushes the boat up, knocks it over, abducts the water underneath. Then all of a sudden it pushes the swimmer and then it pushes the kayak. And like mm-hmm. this whole rotation, there's actually, they got a little video of me after I got out um, about 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I kayaked from 1.30 to 5. Uh, and when I got out, I was like, I was having a hard time because it was like we'd have one swell that would push us towards the boat and then pull us away. And then you know, and so I was having a hard time like managing her in the water a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh her feeds went off like clockwork, no issues with those. Um, you know, and after I the best description I got about what the boat pilot is up to, and and this is different on a lake, obviously. It's a lot easier when you're in a little tiny ski boat yeah. to, to manage staying next to uh to somebody in the water, but you've got this big fishing boat, you're like, it's parallel parking. Yeah. For fourteen hours, yeah, it's all like you're trying. You know, like you got to keep an eye on the kayak. You've got mm-hmm. you know more. You know, got support swimmers in the water, and like the boat pilot. The last thing he wants to do is run anybody over, or you know, like get the swimmer off course because they're doing the primary navigating. And then in this case, because Asha sights off to the right, um, uh, we the she was sighting off the kayak primarily, so it's tough, right? You're trying to manage the the you know the the heading of the kayak versus the heading of the boat and like the swells will push the nose of the boat around and then the boat'll correct. And so how how many of these things do you correct for? Yeah, to keep her on on track. So it was it was an interesting experience. And um you know this compared her swim compared to the other ones that I've crewed for uh you know I had one job. My my one job was to to kayak. Right. So when I wasn't kayaking, I was resting right, you know, get a snack, whatever. Um, and, uh, take, take it as, you know, trying to get as much sleep as you can on a boat, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not very experienced of sleeping on boats, but, um, the, uh, the whole experience (laughs) is really, the whole experience is really awesome. And, you know, I, I kayak, you get out, eat something, take a quick nap, and then, you know, the time rolls around, get back in the kayak and go. And a, a lot of the, I think a lot of the, the ease of this whole thing was that, uh, you know the the crew of the outrider, which was the boat that we were on, they participated, helping us get in and out of the water off the kayak. Yeah. And we're just we're just there. They were helpful. They were super nice. Um, you know, you're certainly paying paying for it, um, but they're there to help make the, the swim go off. So it was great because um, you know we had a you know fixed number of of crew members, specifically for Asha, and then you had this whole other people that were just simply manage the managing the boat and helping you know humans on and off the boat. Yeah. Cool. I, I
1: grew up on boats, lots of boats, lots of small boats, and um anything between nineteen, seventeen no, seventeen, sixteen feet, and uh a thirty four foot sailboat. Uh I go on every once in a while. And yeah, the the problem is is you can't steer a boat that's not moving. And then the problem is is the swimmer's moving so
0: slow you're almost not moving. <laughs> yeah, well, you <laughs> and, know, it it varies, right? So yeah. you know. Jamie swims over two miles an hour when he's going easy. You know, like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. and then, <laughs> Like yeah. I swim maybe a mile and a half when I'm super tired. You know? And then the wind, the
1: bigger the boat, the more the wind will, and the longer the boat, the more the wind will kind of push it around and stuff. And then the swells, and it gets really, really complicated. And then, yeah, so like the best arrangement is a bigger boat for your crew to hang out on. And then, yeah, the kayaks to swarm around the uh, swimmer to support uh, as needed saw a lot of that on Diane. A lot of people, have, I keep talking about Diane and swim, swims so, because a lot of people saw that, you know, happen.
0: Yeah. There's lots of, there's lots of footage. It was one of the bigger, bigger, uh, swims of yeah, the, of the so, decade for sure. It,
1: it's so much easier to hand a swimmer and to talk to a swimmer if you just pull up casually next to him in a kayak, like, you know?
0: Yeah. You can't really, you can't really do that. Um, and then the mo <laughs> the big, with a big old boat. <laughs> yeah. The big boat. I mean, I grew up water skiing all the time and the amount of
1: safety that you have to do around that you should do. Uh, you know you got a you got a safety conscience uh boat captain. Yeah uh man the amount of time they turn the motor off or put it in idle, you know, so that I mean a boat the propeller is not safe. The swimmer is not safe unless the engine is off. I mean that's that's like good water skiing etiquette, right? You pull yeah. up next to a swimmer, you turn the engine off. Just because if that motor's running, there's a chance that it could go into drive, you know, and then you could cut somebody up. And uh so yeah, getting,
0: getting propped is a bad thing.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it's so over. That person's life has changed forever. And, uh, the, um, yeah, so the kayak is is a really nice way to hand people food and, and do all kinds of stuff like that. So,
0: what's uh, do you have any swims coming up soon? Anything? Uh, I don't. There's uh, nothing nothing in the near term. But uh, Jamie is you know obviously we uh, we, He's had to, we had always scheming Jamie something bigger. Jamie's always got something. So I think there's something big planned for early next year yeah. uh, that we're just starting to get wind of, and I can't say anything about it. <laughs> you know what? But, cool. but it's gonna be big. It's going to be Jamie Patrick's. I was re <laughs> I was reading Jamie Patrick, jamiepatrick.com
1: Yeah. The <laughs> uh, the um, yeah I remember swimming with him for the first time and I was like oh my god this dude is a freaking he's so fast. It's crazy. The um, uh, I was reading up on doing the Ultraman uh, advice from Gordo Byrne who's done a bunch of them and then uh, talking to crew like Devin Brown his crewed at an Ultraman <laughs> and the value of the input that crew members give because they're not the one actually doing the race. So they have a third person perspective, you know, and they can kind of see what's going on and what the person's doing and right and what the person's doing wrong. I heard this really cool piece of advice from Gordo Byrne um, and it related to Ultraman, but you know what? I think it applies to every, any kind of thing where you're dealing with crew is, um, you get hand signals set up ahead of time. So like one, mm-hmm. you establish it with your crew, you know, like one finger means water, two fingers mean, you know, uh, fuel, three fingers mean water and fuel, <laughs> you know, four fingers mean yeah. you got to pee or let, let's stop for a minute. So when you're coming up on the car, let's say if you're doing a bike or a run, you know, or you're coming up on the aid station, um, you can hold up to these fingers and then they can get stuff ready before you ever get up next to them. It's kind of neat.
0: Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to negotiate. You know, sometimes things are loud, and there's no, there's no playbook. And then trying, there's no playbook for executing these things and trying to communicate yeah. to people. Like they're like, you did what with the cat? And you're like, no, I need a, you know, <laughs> a middle finger I, means uh, I, <laughs> yes. means leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it means leave me alone. Yeah, and it, it's it's complicated. Like yeah. um, you know, there is no every single one of these is a standalone adventure. Mm-hmm. Not any one of the not any swim is like any other swim. So, and and you know, like every Ironman is potentially different. The conditions are different. The people on course are different and, you know, ultramans the same way. All of this long endurance, long endurance stuff is it's unknown territory every time you go out to do something. Yeah. I mean, you have best practices and you have experience that you can rely on and having, you know, being being part of a crew and being responsible for being playing a huge part in the success or failure of an event, um, it's a lot of pressure. But it's also you're just as important as the person who's doing it. You know, I can't compare me crewing to potentially, uh, you know, Jamie breaking a world record or um, Asha completing this channel crossing. Like I, I didn't swim it. Right. She did all the work. Um, but it takes everybody. Every you know, it takes a village, right? So it you can't just step off the beach and Catalon- uh, Catalina and swim across. Right. With nobody, right? You need, it takes everybody. So crew is huge. Uh, and if, you know, to every, all the listeners, all the great listeners of all the great shows, if you have an opportunity to crew um, for something like this, even just to observe or just go along for the ride and have fun, you should do it because it's, um, yeah, you it can a lot. be a lot of fun. It's, you can be a lot of fun, but it's also a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. The, the only downside I, that I don't
1: like about the uh, open water swimming uh, events is that you, they cost to get the crew, and it, and if say you need boat support and stuff like that, it ends up being expen really expensive to get into, and then you've got to organize all these people, and then you have no idea what the conditions are going to be like that day. Yeah, and the conditions, the and seriously, people like it's crazy. The difference between smooth water and chop with swells is like the difference between like swimming. You know, across it's like biking across Kansas with a tailwind, you know, it's just like dead flat versus riding in the Rockies. Like, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. How much more, or or like, it would be like swimming in mud is what it's like.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what's kept me from. You know, more aggressively pursuing, yeah, the, uh, the you know like channels, mm-hmm. like doing channel crossings. Because by the time you get crew and everybody, and get your pilot and your boat and everything, you're several thousand dollars. Yeah. Not to mention the channel fees for the association, and yeah, you gotta you know get an observer, and you know just the logistics. Pay fees, the to, the pay but, fees <laughs> to the man, the fees to the man. That's
1: right. Yeah, and you just don't know. Uh, that's where I see a huge opportunity. Um, I don't know how. None of us know how. But if if we could figure out a way using technology or something to make these things cheaper, then you would get far more people doing them and we could break it into the masses. So many more people having so much more fun doing it because it's amazing. It's absolutely so cool to be swimming along in an open body, body of water and looking to your right. And there's a mountain range over there and looking to your left and it's open ocean the other way.
0: Yeah, And I think, I think Jamie's Jamie's made that, um, kind of made that jump a little bit because Tahoe's so accessible. Mm-hmm. Um and he's crewing and, and piloting for you know 10, 11 swimmers a year now across yeah. Lake Tahoe. Like whereas like we were, you know, uh, you know both of us wore wetsuits when we did ours, so it doesn't technically count in the record books, but we okay. were we were under I was the 29th.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not yeah. the 29th marathon crossing, but I was the 20, I was the third person to swim across in a wetsuit. Um, you were the second or third, or I was the fourth and you were the third anyway, but now like the number of people that have swam across that lake is pr- probably approaching, you know, 60, if not more. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And Lake, lake Tahoe, like he and, a, and another swimmer, uh, uh, Karen Rogers, uh, put together the Lake Tahoe Swimming Society. And so they're going out and certifying these swims and doing these yeah. things. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, outside of the cost of the whole thing it's like they're they are logistically challenged (laughs) to some degree you know because it's just hard getting everybody together but yeah it would be awesome if we could figure out a way to get this it to be a little bit cheaper yeah you know make it accessible but go swim across a lake there's nothing you know the the, a long swim is all in your mind right so yeah many times
1: you and I have swam across the La Jolla Cove um which is multiple two, times two, two miles, maybe if you do it across and back, come out on shore and then turn around and go back. And then uh, one time I did it butterfly in a full wetsuit. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> that was
0: fun. That was actually that yeah. was the last open water swim before I went to go to go do Tahoe. That was hilarious. Oh, it was that long ago. And it was then, that. It was 2012. Yeah.
1: And then um I've and then having all that experience doing that, I went and swam across a lake here, um butterfly right. I interviewed a guy that swam across the English Channel all butterfly. And I was like, man, I got to do this. So I did 2.4 miles butterfly. and um,
0: just, just to try it, see how hard it's going to be.
1: Yeah, and uh, it was so cool. And uh, I had a guy support me in, my, uh, in a kayak. And I had Kai in, in there with him, so he got to watch. And we loaded up the kayak with fuel. And I would stop every 10 minutes or so and then uh, see how it's going, right? Oh, and then Kai, who's uh, he was 10 at the time. He swam across Lake Bryan for 1.2 miles. Nice. Yeah, and I swam with him in the water. And uh, every once in a while, I'd stop him. And about every 10 minutes, I'd stop him and go, you okay? And he's like, yep. I'm like, okay. And we'd keep going. It's it's great
0: being an example to your kids like that, for sure.
1: Well, it's just so cool, like, having done it once and crewed some, you know, or a bunch of times. Because Ironman swims are, you know, they're pretty significant open water swims. Yeah. And uh, the, um, yeah, like, uh, it's actually... You know, the only, the really only big danger is other boats and the weather, like the chop. You got to kind of watch out for that. And I guess getting too cold would be another one. So, Well, thanks for need being more. on the show, dude. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh thanks for having me. Maybe we I'm can inspire to, uh, some people to go out and swim across
0: the lake safely. Yeah. And if you need somebody to kayak, let me know. <laughs> I'm so I love kayaking. I get to yeah. do it like twice a year. Yeah. And I always do it in these strange locations, either in the middle of the... Yeah. Caribbean. Somebody asks
1: you if you've ever kayaked, you're like, yeah, a little bit.
0: I've I've done it. (laughs) But certainly there's the other kayaker on Asha's swim, Uh Amy Ahern, I think her last name is Ahern. Mm -hmm. She's a ninja. Oh yeah. Like that girl, that girl can handle herself a kayak. It was was impressive. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, know, I'm, I'm rusty. And of course you're getting into, into the Pacific in the middle of the night, you know, you're a little, a little nervous maybe. I can see an orca (laughs) just coming up and taking you down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ah, yeah. hey, Look out! That's a big fish, it's Moby Dick. <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, I gotta—you know what? I gotta take the kids to soccer. All right. So. Open field crossing with the balls. Yeah. Well, we're basically putting them out into the heat and torturing them. A yeah. Bit. A little bit. Of... Got this crazy Southern California heat wave going on. It's bananas. Yeah. It's All like right, a, a thousand degrees.
1: Yeah. It just got cool here in Texas. We had a little cool front come through. It's only like eighty-five instead of. <laughs> A hundred six. jelly people got
0: coats on. Yeah.
1: yeah, probably. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. All right, thanks so much, Morgan. If you want to get in touch with Morgan, he's M Christian on Twitter, and that's the uh, best way to get in touch with him is just to hit him up. And he's such a nice guy and super super smart. He works as a high end uh, IT guy. And is very analytical and very good with supporting swims and supporting others and has done a few uh, he's done a self-supported iron man he did the ultra the uh, iron baby with me a few years ago and uh, does half iron man's on occasion whenever he feels like it <laughs> really an amazing guy all right let's go ahead and get started with Our donations and a little bit of Zen. I've been getting a lot of feedback from people that have really enjoyed the Zen mentions. And first off, I want to mention an audiobook that I've been listening to that is really good. And let me make sure I get the title right. I'm going to click over to it on my phone real quick. And that might be distracting here, maybe get a click or two. But it's um, called Waking Up. And yeah, it's on audible.com. And it's like 22 hours long and it's interviews with, um, with uh, Zen and Buddhist uh, enlightened teachers about what it takes to actually wake up and be enlightened. And I'm finding it just amazing. It is really, really cool. I went for a run last night and heard um, the, uh, it was like a meditation run. Just this conversation with, uh, with uh, experts about this kind of stuff. It's very relaxing and therapeutic. I have to turn it off and get back to actual real work every once in a while. But I recommend that as you're, as you're listening. And it's just really deep and really good stuff. And then also we have um, a few things that I've noticed over the past, uh, past week or so is the, uh, the future doesn't happen in the future, this, this is really neat. Um, of course it doesn't happen in the future. The future is not now. Uh, changes don't happen in the future. Everything happens right now. You can't change the past. You can't go into the future to change the future. So if you want a different future, you have to actually work on it right now. <laughs> and once you start moving and start working on it now, um, you start creating a little bit of traction, and it starts feeling good that you're actually kind of steering the ship a little bit. It's pretty neat. So uh, the future doesn't happen in the future, so do it now. Uh, also, there's a lot of talk in the news about Ronda Rousey, and uh, she's the MMA fighter that uh, is just kicking everybody's ass, and there's a really good, long interview with her on the Joe Rogan podcast where... She said that she actually is, she envisions herself as the bad guy, which is really interesting. I think it gives her energy and it gives her, uh, you know, like a path to follow, you know, like some rules. They say for a company motto, it should just be like one or two little rules. And then that makes decisions really, really simple. And that makes decisions uh, easy to do by everybody all the way down to the front line person answering the phone to take uh, complaints. You know, like if the if, the, if your company motto is uh, the customer is always right, right, um, then the customer is always right. And then you can defer judgment all the way down to the down to the front line. And uh, Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week uh, implemented something really cool. If it costs less than $100, then you go ahead and make the decision. It, that's the company rule all the way down to the front line, right? And they're like, well, should I refund this person's money or should we change this order? The answer is, does it cost less than 100 bucks? Yes, then do it. Don't bother upper management with stuff like that. It's too petty. It's too little. So with Rhonda Rousey having an image in her mind that she's the bad guy well, that pretty much takes care of all decisions. <laughs> she just goes, well, and I don't know if it's WWE or WWF or whatever, but how would a bad guy, you know, behave in this situation? Because wrestling is full of these characters, right? You had good, good guys and bad guys. It's like, well, I just do what the bad guy does and uh, get the crowd excited and be a little bit of a punk. And uh, that's, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the method, and it gives you uh, direction, Right. And if once you have direction man, life is easy and the uh, oh, she said so many cool things about it, the um, there was an interview I heard. I forgot which uh, it's how to succeed in evil was a pod is a podcast that I love listening to. Um, And the uh, there's an interview where they're talking about the very first show they're talking about Empire Strikes Back and why is Empire Strikes Back the best of all the Star Wars movies. It's because evil wins every time. Every single time. (laughs) Darth Vader cuts off Luke's hand. The Empire invades Hoth, right, and wins. The rebels have to flee. And it just goes on and on and on. Every single confrontation, the dark side wins. Uh, Darth Vader takes over uh, the Cloud City. And also, Darth Vader captures Han Solo and imprisons him in in carbonite and ships him off to Boba Fett. Every single interaction with the good side, the dark side wins. And it's rare, when a movie actually allows that, for the bad guy to win. But it's so good because it's in training. It gets your mind involved. And watch Ronda Rousey in this uh, role she's playing as being the bad guy. Now you've seen The Man Behind the Curtain. You know, in The Wizard of Oz, nobody gets to see the wizard. The man behind the curtain, Ronda Rousey, in this interview with Joe Rogan, says she's playing the bad guy on purpose, and she's loving it. And I promise you, anybody that's loving what they're doing is going to succeed. And that is why Ronda Rousey is kicking ass and will continue to kick ass until somebody finally beats her. All right. I also wanted to mention um, in Zentry. It, it crossed my mind, you know. Like I don't go overboard with Zentry marketing and uh, slogans and uh, packages where I sell this and I sell that, and uh, I, I need uh, a whole bunch of people to uh, be part of my club and. I mean, I enjoy that, and that's always nice. You know, we got some ZenTri T-shirts, and I love wearing one and, and seeing other people in it. And I love having a following on Twitter, right, where uh, people validate uh, what I say and um, or correct me often. And uh, that's all good. But um, one reason and the biggest reason why I don't uh, promote a certain style of training or a certain style of diet or a certain style of anything is because I don't have it all figured out I don't know the answer and if you stay away from the middle path if you stray away from the middle path you know to get sales to get people's attention well the middle path is what's proven it's what actually works you know you could go vegan you know but a mixed diet is actually what works for most people and you could do all intervals all the time and do minimalist training, uh, which I like to do, but the uh, I don't push people on it and try to get a club started uh, where you got to pay membership to be part of the uh, club because that doesn't work all the time. And I don't like being... The first thing when I went vegan was... Well, what if I decide, I'm thinking like years down the road, what if I decide I don't want to be vegan anymore? you got vegan athletes out there that have built a whole reputation out of being vegan. And what happens when they go to the doctor and the doctor says, man, you're dying because of uh, they're not doing it right. I'm not saying you can't be vegan and you can't be healthy. That's your own thing, right? I, I'm saying like they're not doing it right and they probably never will do it right. And so they're sick and they're, uh, the doctor says... Uh, Hey man, you need to add some kind of protein into your diet. And the person's like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta be vegan." Like in your mind, you know, you gotta be this certain way because you've built up this um, this image of what you are, and you're never able to change. So it's uh, you're locking yourself down, and uh, without freedom, you know. I'm talking about like, what if I became the maltodextrin guy, you know? And I just figured out that maple syrup works way better. Now I got to spend the rest of my life hiding using maple syrup, <laughs> right? And what if I figure out that maple syrup isn't the way anymore, and uh, you know, gnawing on a rock is uh, actually the uh, best way to go. I become gnawing on the rock guy. You know, you can't change when you find a better way uh, if you lock yourself down too much. And I just wanted to get that out there. That um, one of the reasons why I don't, I don't uh, try to get a huge cult following going is um, because I don't have it all figured out and I don't want to pull everybody else down with me while I, uh, you know, or mislead people um, if I do something wrong. Uh, the one thing that I that I uh, do promote is uh, paying attention. Maybe I'm the paying attention guy. You know, you pay attention to what works and then what doesn't and don't be afraid to change your mind when you find something that works better. That's how human civilization has progressed. That's why Um, we're eating, uh, sandwiches on a, on a, uh, on a, uh, space station while, uh, while, well, we, I guess we, we, we have bacteria up there with us while most things aren't. (laughs) Okay. That's kind of lame. But anyway, let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next one. I have one last thing about communication. Um, one huge thing in training is, uh, interacting with your family Family is like your uh, base, or family or work. It doesn't matter, but the people around you, right? And the, the problem is, is if you get cross-threaded, I like using that uh, phrase a lot, cross-threaded. If you get crossways, cross-threaded with your environment, then all of a sudden everything becomes a lot more difficult. And if you pay attention, you might notice that... Um, some of your difficulties in getting triathlon done is has to do with miscommunication and uh, misperception and um, not talking. Uh, well, you're not sure what the problem is, but I can tell you what the solution is, is a lot of times it's communicating ahead of time what you're thinking and what you're, what you're feeling, and that way it's not a surprise to whoever you're dealing with. And I had a really good example. On, I forgot what day it was. It was like uh, Thursday or Friday of last week. Um, No, it was earlier than that. I think it was Wednesday. Um, I I was getting tired uh, at the end of the workday. I'd mismanaged my energy and probably what I was eating. And so it was getting to be late in the day uh, at work. And I was starting to get kind of drifty. And I could tell that when I got home, I needed to take a nap and go to bed as early as I could. And you know what I did? I texted Emily, my beautiful wife, that who has done a half Iron Man, by the way. Iron Man, half uh, Austin. I uh, texted her around like four o'clock. I said, I am feeling like crap. <laughs> I am sleepy. I really can't wait to get home so I can take when I when I get home I can take a nap after after I get home for a little bit, right after dinner. And she wrote back, "Oh, that's great. Um uh we'll do dinner and then you can you can go to sleep, right?" So that's instead of coming home and then being grumpy and then arguing over a whole bunch of See in her mind, if I hadn't have done that, she's going home, going Okay, so when we get home, we're going to have dinner, and then I'm going to have Brett fix uh, Kai's trampoline, and then I'm going to have Brett fix the uh, TV, the Roku box thing isn't working right. I'm going to have Brett do this, I'm going to have Brett do that, and because that's some stuff I normally do. And then um, then I would be all grumpy, Brett, and be saying, uh, leave me alone, man, come on. And I would be doing it all grumpy and having a miserable evening, but because I communicated ahead of time, uh, the interaction at home was caring and loving and supportive you know it's like here have some food and then go to bed and um, uh, we'll talk later after you wake up and it's kind of like the whole thing about low testosterone you know I could <laughs> as you uh, as you get older you get wiser we both get wiser about you know Emily knows she doesn't want to deal with grumpy Brett because I turned into an asshole and when uh, when Emily's uh, grumpy I, I tell her she's being grumpy and suggest a snicker's bar, and then uh, walk off. <laughs> Just a loaded suggestion. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, it, you know, like, uh, as you get older, you get wiser and you start doing this stuff. So the tip, what I'm trying to explain is when you go into your weekend days before, say I'm thinking I'm really excited about riding my bike long on Sunday morning. Or Saturday morning, or I'm going to do the same thing I did last weekend. I'm going to bike in the morning and run in the evening. Or man, I'm really thinking Monday. I need to swim tonight. And uh, you verbalize these things in text or in voice, and uh, tell the others your your coworkers, but don't annoy your coworkers. They don't really give a shit that you do triathlon, and the. Um, but your manager, your boss, you know, um that you're going to do something or you're planning on doing something and then you'll find that the support and the help to get it done all of a sudden just materializes out of thin air. It's really crazy. Um uh you tell somebody that you're planning on doing a long bike ride uh this weekend over in this area and the next thing you know the next day they go, hey, you know, I was talking to somebody at yoga class last night and they're a cyclist too. And they said to watch out uh, for this one section of road um, that there's potholes all over it. And then you're like, oh, wow, cool. I didn't know that, right? And so that's instead of just kind of keeping things to yourself. So uh, being a guy, uh, we under communicate. And as we, uh, as I get older and smarter, um, I'm learning to uh, actually communicate. And it's helpful. <laughs> Okay, let's read off donations and uh, some sponsors, and uh, then we can get to the training log with a lot more of that kind of stuff. All right, uh, donations, Dwayne Morin, Daniel Stark, Ted Stephanie. Oh, and also that's from, um, Ted is with uh, Sound Probiotics, and they're going to work on being the lead supporter, the lead um, title sponsor of uh, the Ultra Baby. So check out uh, soundprobiotics.com. And uh, Joseph Rogalski, who I coach. He had a kick-ass race this weekend at Cedar Point. New PRs. Uh, let's see. A lot of it had to do with a wonderful new bike that he got. He got a BMC TMO1, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's the TMO1. It's gorgeous. And Ken Soderquist. Uh, Erica Dennison. El Senor. uh Brett Hoyer. Best first name in triathlon. And Michael Radogna. Radogna. Redog, Redog, I'll get it right at some point. And Simon Wright. All send in donations. You can help help support ZenTri by going to the left side of zentriathlon.com. And I say it later in the show as well. If you find the tips that I'm giving on ZenTri helpful to you, consider giving a donation. It always helps out. And... Also, let's see, we need to mention some sponsors. Uh, I'm continuing to kick ass with uh, Amrita bars. Eat half or a whole Amrita bar when I wake up in the morning before I go and do a workout. They are super healthy, a nice balance of fat and protein and carbs. Uh, They have seeds instead of nuts. So if you have a nut allergy, uh, they're fantastic. All their kits look super, super cool. Um, Big time health nuts that are majorly into endurance sports. Arshad is the owner. He's been on the show before. They love Zentri, so try to show them some love back. 15% off Amrita stuff at AmritaHealthFoods.com. And Amrita is A-M-R-I-T-A, AmritaHealthFoods.com. And discount code ZEN, all caps, Z E N. All right, and I should mention hornet juice as always. I get tons of emails from people using hornet juice. It's a a protein powder, amino acid powder, that um, you mix in with your fuel. And uh, you can do a little bit before you start working out and then as you're working out. And it's stuff that metabolizes your body fat. So you actually get more energy. You feel like a diesel train. It's crazy. And it really does work. It's absolutely amazing stuff, and it's synthetic Japanese killer hornet saliva. No joke. Go to hornetjuice.com and check it out. But the craziest, even crazier than that, is it actually works. I usually get an order for a 10-pack, and then people come back and order 30. They can't believe how well it works. And then it takes a little bit to get to your house because it comes from New Zealand, and the people are like, where is it? I need it. I need my morning juice. I ordered it like a week ago. Where is it? And it just takes a little bit longer because uh, it comes from New Zealand. Sorry about that. And um, it's absolutely amazing and it helps support Zentri. So you get something for yourself and you get to brag about it to your friends. You hold this packet up in the air and shake it and go, I've got synthetic Japanese killer hornet powder. <laughs> what do you have in your bottle? And... And it works, which helps your training and you're helping uh, Zentri stay on the air and give you more and more tips and happiness out there. And you can get that by going to zentrathon.com and scrolling down and looking for the Hornet Juice logo. It's uh, purple and yellow. It's got a big Hornet on it. It's really cool. Long time sponsors. Oh, my gosh. I wonder how long they've been on. It's about eight years. And... Then, also, I need to mention Chris Haig Racing. Check him out. I think I mentioned him later in the show as well during the training log. Chris Haig Racing.com. Ah, Haig H A G U E. Super cool guy. Uh, wonderful coach. Wonderful personality. Absolutely love hanging out with Chris. We've run and triathloned together and super nice. He's, he's, he's addictive to be around. You want to be around him more. <laughs> the more you hang out with them, the more you're like, I want to hang out with Chris some more. And uh, that's really critical in a coach. You want to coach in a good with a good attitude and that's smart as a whip. And Chris is definitely that. And I think that is it for our sponsors for this show. I'm starting to look into uh, replacing um, my front wheels, uh, my front wheel and probably not my rear wheel because I got a power tap in it but the front wheel on my bike so if you know of a really nice front wheel uh, that I can get into such as a I like a I've got a Zip 404 but it's like three generations old and so I'm starting to look into uh, uh, upgrading that before I completely wear it out and crush it Um, if you got tips on that hit me up I'm uh, Zentrathlon on Twitter And also, I'm um, uh, Texafornia, like Texas and California, Texafornia at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you want to get on the show and get me to mention you a ton, let's talk about wheels. Send me some information and let's see if we can get a deal worked out. Okay, that's it for now. Let's go ahead and get started with the training log. I take you with me on all this training stuff. And if you think this part is good, wait until next episode as it gets insane. 20 plus hours a week of training. How do I do it? How do I survive it? How do I survive the damage I do to myself? I've got plantar fasciitis in my left foot. It hurts, man. But I keep going. (laughs) because we've got ultra baby coming up it just never ever stops and i'm really excited about it okay let's go ahead and get started with the training log here we go
0: you are entering the centrite training log zone kuneli
1: hi everybody my name's Brett. i'm a triathlete i decided it's time i got some friends more suited to my status
0: but joe we've been friends for years hey
1: we all make mistakes.
0: Come on, dudes. Let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself.
1: All right. Welcome to a new training log. Start eight. Uh, golly. Uh, August. Yeah. No. September. September 3rd. Holy crap. September 3rd, 2015. Uh, really cool stuff happening lately. First off, a uh, little bit about communication and sleep. I found as a uh, grown-ass man, as I like to say, that uh, last night started feeling... uh, Oh, yesterday, started feeling really, really sleepy. And that was because the night before, uh, I didn't have a really good sleep at all. I was up and down a lot. Who knows why? I've learned uh, through uh, research that occasional um, uh, insomnia... Is actually normal, and uh, with that, you should not have guilt. As even as it's happening, go up. This is about the every once in a while where you have a little bit of insomnia. So I sat up and cruised the internet and did I don't know whatever bull crap, uh, just killing time until I finally fell asleep at like 3 a.m. or something like that. Like finally got good sleep, and the uh, the thing is. Hold on a second. This is a crazy intersection I need to pay attention to. All right, I'm back. You can do uh, many things at the same time, like you can walk and chew gum, but uh, if you actually actually have to focus and not die, then um, you got to only do one thing at a time. So recording and uh, getting through a dangerous intersection that needs a stoplight that doesn't have one yet, it's got a stop sign, is a little bit sketchy. Anyway, I... Uh, I started feeling like, oh, man, I need... Oh, you shouldn't have guilt uh, over not being able to sleep, right? You should just be able to start sleeping uh, whenever you can. So yesterday at lunch, I tried to catch a little bit of a nap. um, And that definitely didn't cover the bases because, you know, now you're hours behind um, how much you should uh, have gotten sleep. And I was like, well, tonight, there's probably not going to be any workouts. There might or might not and uh, I'm just gonna have to go to bed early and make sure I get some sleep. And I've learned through uh, being married, and actually a lot of people, uh, and nearly me, have uh, failed many times at marriage, (laughs) so uh, just being married doesn't actually teach you anything. People say I'm an expert, I've been married three times. But uh, through a little bit of uh, learning and paying attention, that communication, ahead of time, fixes so many problems. And as guys, we have this problem where we just kind of keep stuff to ourselves. That, that is the problem right there. Uh, that is 90% of relationship problems is the guy not saying what he's thinking or feeling. Um, and um, our problem as guys is usually we aren't saying or... F- we we are saying and thinking stuff to ourselves and we just don't think it's important enough. Well, it turns out that the the things that we think are just stupid are um, and not worth communicating are the things that make life so much easier. So I texted Emily uh, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. I said, I am feeling so tired. When I get home tonight, I want to eat something and then uh, go right to bed to take a nap. I didn't say go bed bed forever. I said to take a nap. And she wrote back, uh, okay, cool. And then uh, now she knows we have uh, we're not going to have conflicting expectations of what I'm supposed to do when I get home right There's not going to be hey stay up and do this like she knows ahead of time right of what my problem is whenever I'm laying around in, in bed and instead of her finding me laying around in bed and going what's your problem <laughs> and me being grumpy right because now I'm sleepy, I don't want to argue about it. So that's thinking ahead of time and communicating. Uh, mixed in with uh, not feeling guilty about sleeping and also learning over time which triathlon has taught me how important sleep is and all together combined last night I went to bed at 6 30 and woke up uh, after getting I went to bed at like six fifteen, I think. The Garmin Nine Twenty is also a sleep tracker. Anyways, I got ten hours and twenty two minutes of sleep. I fell asleep in my work clothes on my bed on top of the covers, and uh, I woke up this morning, felt great. Got on the bike trainer and knocked out uh, some really great uh, intervals on the bike, which I posted on Twitters and on Twitter, and you can see them um, and. Then uh, when I came downstairs from uh, doing bike trainer, Emily and Kai were awake and we're eating breakfast. Kai's getting ready to, go to school. And they said, what happened to you last night? And I said, I don't know, but it was great. And then Emily said, did you realize that they were building a house next door and you slept right through that and there's this house like right next door to the bedroom (laughs) and I slept right through all this construction. She said that they were in the living room, Emily and Kai, trying to watch TV and they couldn't, they had to turn the TV way up so that they could hear the TV over all the construction that was going on next door and I slept right through it and I said, wow, that's pretty good that I needed to sleep that badly and uh, was doing it and then also the other funny thing is I woke up this morning and I had started listening to a really good audiobook which I'll tell you in a second and I had just started listening to it on the drive home so we're talking like just a few minutes into it and then I woke up this morning and I started you know getting my stuff together to get on the bike and I was like uh oh yeah I need to pick up that audiobook again I turned on the audiobook and uh it's it's gone it's uh it's already at the end and it's like thank you for listening <laughs> on the on the uh, phone it said that um and i was like what in the world happened and uh what had happened was i slept so good i fell asleep listening to the audiobook and i slept all the way through it and uh i'd never heard it so anyway there's that and that was really really nice so I'm on my way to uh, W to the ERK and going to uh, really enjoy uh, getting into the process of uh, working today because I listened to a lot of the audiobook while I was on the trainer. It's a little difficult to do intervals while listening to a calm, soothing voice tell you about how to be meditative and be in the moment and it was uh, it's an audio book that I want to recommend so far even though I haven't listened to the whole thing it's really good it's called The Practicing Mind and it's all about uh, the difference of being uh, working on practicing and being in the moment when you're working on a skill versus uh, focusing on the end point and how much better it is to be uh, working be okay with working on something and enjoying it and uh all the frustration that you get when you just look at the end point and then compare yourself where you are versus that and end up throwing your golf clubs because you didn't get a hole in one. And uh, like you see some pro uh, getting or like you didn't win the whole triathlon like a pro does. Because <laughs> you're not enjoying the process. Or the process, as they say in Canada, yeah. And that is uh, called the practicing mind. And it's on Audible. And you should go check it out. Alright, I got things to do. I'll catch up with y'all in a bit. Alright, out bang. Alright homies, had a really good workout with uh, things to describe to help you get your workouts done better. Maybe this will help. I was uh, killing it today. Absolutely destroyed it on the bike. Uh, and what happened was, the uh, well let me give you the numbers. Um, and. 51 watts normalized power for three almost three and a half hours my normal three and a half hour plus route i finished in 326 because i was going so fast and i what did i do um average 22.7 miles per hour which is freaking crazy Uh, i got rolling terrain and it was just a beautiful beautiful ride And I actually had a guy riding with me um, that was tailing along. Uh, He was invited, you know, like, come hang with us. And I was just shocked at, like, how well he was able to keep up. Like, he was was drafting off of me the entire time, which is fine if that's what it takes to keep up. But still just drafting, this guy was right on me the entire time. And I was like, man, this guy. Because he didn't look like he was, like some awesome cyclist or anything so I was like man this is really cool this guy's got talent and uh, he was riding one of my favorite bikes he had a light speed titanium uh, Sabre which is an older bike Um, and with the uh, Spinergy freaking wheels on it (laughs) the bike just looks so cool man I loved it and I told him so I was like man your bike rules and um, oh we passed a guy on a Calfee um, bamboo bike. Oh man, that was super rad. Those tubes are thick, man. Uh, said hey to him. But anyway, I was, uh, oh, the guy, um, my other buddy and I were talking about that guy and my buddy Daniel said, yeah, he's trying to teach him to um, eat and drink more. And that guy finally popped off the back um, during one of uh, one of our hill climbs after, I don't know, and a half hours of riding with us (laughs) at this crazy freaking horsepower speed and um, I noticed that at one point he was like uh, uh, you know or I asked him hey you got enough fuel because we stopped for some water and then kept on going he's like yeah and he had like one gel and I'm like oh this isn't gonna you know end well for him but you got to talk to people it's hard to convince people to eat more and to drink more and stuff like that. Um and honestly like I my hang up on eating more was it's so freaking expensive and stupid. And so what I did was um uh I started making my own fuel. So I ordered maltodextrin powder from A distributor online I got a 50 pound bag of maltodextrin for like 80 bucks delivered to my delivered to my door and then I use uh Gatorade powder like one scoop Gatorade powder and like uh for a three hour bottle three and a half hour bottle one scoop Gatorade powder and it's the big scoop from the big container and then the uh rest of the scoops of maltodextrin which I've measured out by um, weight to be uh, 300 calories, you measure grams, but it ends up being just over 300 calories per hour, and, um, and then what I do, well, I add salt and sea salt to make it taste kind of cool, and today I added matcha powder, which is green tea powder, and that has a lot to do with me uh, biking so well today. And then also, um, I added a, a packet of Hornet juice for amino acids and zoom, 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 man. Holy crap. I was like, wow. My, uh, Garmin said, you achieved one new record. Best time ever to dear tear, something. And then, um, normally that ride, I'd do like 230 Watts, uh, or less 220, you know? And, uh, 20, 20 and a half, 21 miles per hour, 22.7, man, holy crap. And a lot of it has to do with, I've been doing more intervals on the trainer. I was on Zwift this week. They introduced a new course and I was on, yeah, you know, just doing some intervals while running and stuff. And it makes you hella strong. But I also noticed that I had to cut back my workouts. I'd be sleepy and just skip a workout over and over again because i'd be uh, sleepy and tired and so during the week i only worked out uh, just over half as much as i usually do and that has a lot to do with killing it on the bike ride as well and that's the formula so it'll you know i'm doing a long bike ride supposedly tomorrow too we'll see how this rain holds up but the uh every once in a while you have a day like that and you take it you take it and then you just let it go because not every day is going to be like that and you never know what's going to come next So when it happens, it just happens there's a really good saying uh, you just arrange the pieces that come at you like a Tetris game and uh, you get a piece like that big whopping piece glittery gold and then uh, you just uh, put it in its place and don't hold on to it too much because a day like that, uh, like I had today, um, you hold that as your gold standard, well, then you're you're going to be chasing that forever. And then you're going to wreck yourself training and training trying to match those numbers that you had that one day. Because you, th- I used to do this. This is how I know. Because then you're like, well, I used to buy I bike, um, you know, this miles per hour this many watts for a ride, so I should continue to do it every ride. And that's how you... Don't improve. You uh, plateau, you overtrain. So you just take it, put it away, and enjoy it. All right, I'm at Freebirds. Gonna give me a nice burrito with all kinds of veggies and good stuff on it. All right, that's it. Bang. All right, it is Labor Day weekend, uh, Monday, Labor Day Monday, and I am living the life of a pro triathlete, which means I have no job to go to. <laughs> Oh, let's say I have a very successful pro triathlete. I have no job to go to. I have uh, uh, no kids. Kai's at school all day today. And I slept in it. This is the difference. And this is why you should not feel bad as an age grouper of not being as uh, as fast as you want to be. Is because uh, the difference between having to go to work and having to cram stuff in versus having all day to train is insane like i got up after a great sleep which makes you work out better and had a uh, great breakfast a balanced breakfast of everything all your macros your fat your protein and your and your uh what else is out there uh pro uh carbs and then uh let that settle and then I I got all my crap together very casually and very relaxed was able to plan out a nice workout and I jogged outside for half an hour with my dog to make my dog happy and then I came inside it was really hot outside oh and because it was hot outside and I had the time after a while I came inside and ran on the treadmill uh, and you know did inclines did hill repeats three hill repeats on the treadmill with fresh ice cold water nearby and just had a nice workout i was able to go as long as i wanted and then quit and then i uh, kind of laid around a little bit and uh surfed the internet and then uh, decided after a while maybe to um eat some lunch and i had a very well balanced ru- lunch that wasn't rushed and uh, a cup of coffee and then i uh said, you know, I think I should go for a swim, and now I'm driving on my way to the pool, stuck at an, at an intersection, and now I'm going to go swim, and I'm just going to swim however I want, and do intervals, and, and not do intervals, whatever, because I got all the time in the world, <laughs> and I got, had a nice little snack beforehand, and I'm going to have a, a snack afterwards, and then I'm probably going to take a nap, and that is the formula for success but the truth is is you can't do that uh, as an age grouper it just shows man um, anyway I want to give a, a couple of tips out there like always The uh, we get in this mindset we have to do one or the other and no you can do a mix and in fact doing a mix is really where the magic happens and you do not have to run outside or run inside You can do both. So today, like I said, I ran outside. And uh, after a while, I came inside and hopped on the treadmill and uh, switched my watch over to an indoor workout and ran hill repeats. So I got in exactly what I needed. And we face this so much where it's like, uh, well, I've got to ride outside um, because it's with my friends or I got to ride inside because of the weather no, you can mix it up. You can do all kinds of things, you know? I was thinking about swimming today. I'm having a lot of trouble uh, finding a pool that's open because it's Labor Day weekend. And I was like, well, there's this crappy pool. It's a brand new health club and they built like a 17-yard or 20-yard pool or something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so sad that you would build a pool like that and then put lane ropes in it like you're supposed to actually swim laps in that. A 25-yard pool is just sad enough. And uh, all the turning uh, really compromises your workout. And the, uh, anyway, I was, I was thinking about going to swim there. What well, if I had to swim there, I found another pool that's open, but if I had to swim there, I would swim for a while and, uh, do some laps and get nice and warmed up. And then I would go lift weights and do cable pulls to get in the rest of the, of the, uh, swim workout for sure. You know, and like you don't have to run trails or road. You can run some trails and then switch over to road. And uh, let's see on the bike. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm coaching a guy right now that uh, the thing he needs more than anything is to get a bike trainer, man. And I was telling him the, um, my life before a bike trainer was so difficult trying to find a uh, cycling time and safe routes and everything i don't know what was my hang-up in my head over getting a bike trainer uh it was 150 fifty dollar purchase for just a cruddy one and actually uh i got a fluid too a cyclops fluid too and it's fantastic and i just uh once i got one and my life just changed 180 degrees no more uh, bundling up because of crazy cold weather, you know, freezing and being miserable. No, no more being an outdoor warrior, you know, and getting sunburn and stuff like that. If uh, you want to work out, and the weather conditions aren't, you know, there's a there's a point where weather conditions are dangerous, you know, um, cruddy, cold, crappy weather. Um, what? Yeah, you need to be able to ride in it and run in it, but. Um, how do I put this? If, so so what I do, because if, if it's a race or something like that and you're, and you're not uh, familiar with it, man, you're in for a hell of a bad day, you know, because you're just so miserable. But if, what, what I do is if I'm already working out outside and the weather turns crappy, then I go, okay, you know, I get a good dose of this, so I biked yesterday. I need to talk about that eventually too. And I got way overheated, and I lost ten pounds in two days from dehydration and the uh, from riding outside. And it's like, well, that kind of happened by accident. So I got exposed. You get enough exposure to miserable crap just by accident. You don't need to like go out and uh, focus on it and get it on purpose when um, you can train indoors and uh, improve yourself. So there, so you can, uh, well, what happened was I got a treadmill and I got a bike trainer and then my life, my ability at triathlon and my race performances just almost doubled in, uh, in potential. Like it was just so much better. And, um, like I said, if I'm out running, And it starts dumping rain. I enjoy it. I'm just like, oh, cool. You know, I start freezing and I start really struggling. I enjoy it. But if it's already like that, then I don't have this mental battle, you know, emotional turmoil of like going outside and uh, and excuses uh, for not uh, training because the weather just sucks. You know, I'll be like, well, I can do it on the bike or I can do it on the treadmill or on the uh, on the um, on the trainer and maybe condense the workout because it's not as fun indoors you know, but with no stoplights, man, a treadmill and a trainer, especially the trainer, no stoplights, no flat tires, no helmet to put on, no sweaty bike gear. It's just bike shorts and a heart rate strap and your cycling shoes and socks, man. That's it. And you can just go to town and uh, you got the bathroom right there and you got water, fresh water, and man, you can just kill it, dude. Absolutely kill it on the trainer And uh, they say time on the trainer is worth like time and a half out on the open road. It kind of depends on where you live, but yeah, like it's nuts. And also I've been thinking a lot lately, it's hard to quantify this, but um, if you train really smart and really effectively, you get over this hump where your body becomes powerful enough where um, the things that would bother you usually don't bother you anymore so that you can get in um you can get in a lot more mileage and a lot more fun and a lot more good training without things that would normally slow people down slowing you down and uh the best example is um if like somebody that can already run like a six minute mile six and a half minute mile seven minute mile as like their easy pace well, for them, putting in the mileage of, of uh, you know, a, a ten mile run or something like that is is ridiculous. It's like so easy, you know. If they're already thin and light, uh, putting in uh, you know the distance is and putting in the workout to train for a marathon is so much easier than it is for somebody that's uh, you know struggling and, and just kind of getting into it and uh, whatever. So if you can. Um, get in really effective, powerful workouts early and and uh, strongly, and get you up and over that hump. Then, when you're out and and you do this, like on a trainer or on a treadmill, then it gets you out of that that window of struggle and whatever that I was in for years and years and years, trying to get better out. Uh, doing kind of—it's not that the workout you're, you're trying your best, but the environment that you're in is kind of mediocre and it's not focused, and so it takes forever if you ever do get um, strong enough, so that um, and fast enough, so that uh, you can um, th- not let uh, things that affect most people uh, starting out bother you. So, like for example. You could um, train forever on the train, uh, out on the open road, and be kind of you know like an average cyclist for your average area. Everybody riding outside, or you could mix in uh, intervals twice a week on the trainer on the bike, and then go ride long on the weekends. And then your um, three-hour ride is uh, sixty miles <laughs> uh, because the horsepower. That you're able to put out because the hills don't bother you. And because the hills don't, you know, like you're so much faster. And then you're, um, because the hills don't bother you, um, well, then the heat doesn't bother you. And the heat doesn't bother you, then a little error kind of here and there with hydration and fuel uh, doesn't bother you either. Like nothing, everything bothers you less. And uh, you get there by uh, knocking out some um, some intensity on devices uh, to get you up and lift you up and uh, yeah make you a little bit more um, I would say bulletproof but it makes you, the, the stronger athlete isn't phased by um, stuff out there that uh, phases most people and uh, the way to get to be a stronger athlete and get out of the woods uh, so get some space around you is uh, focused training and let's see a treadmill for me was like 600 bucks maybe and then the trainer was 150 bucks let's say you go for 200 so for less than a thousand bucks you can have a home gym to really uh fix a lot of stuff and like i said for me it was incredible absolutely incredible how that turned things around all right that's it i need to go swim and i'll be back in a minute out all right nice little swim And uh, I got two things for you. One, the Rich Roll episode where he interviews Casey Neistat again. And Casey says, uh, nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) Quit listening to other people and do it your own way. And that's how you find success. And uh, man, that is so cool and such real advice. For you to uh, do something and for you to keep doing it with enough energy to get results... You kind of have to do it your own way. That way it's kind of authentic and like you're living it and you're loving it because it's your own way because it's only doing things, you know, like a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 where you're actually going to get uh, meaningful results, which leads me to um, my swim workout. Uh, I've gone back to doing um, a lot of workouts with intervals and I'm finding huge results from that. And basically, I go easy, and then I do an interval for a few minutes, literally like three minutes, and the—and uh, I do it about a nine out of ten, and by the end of uh, three minutes, um, it's burning really, really nice, and then I go easy for about six, seven minutes, recovery, work on form and technique and so on and so forth and by then I'm well rested and I do it again and then I do that for about an hour I get six intervals in that's about eight minutes of nine out of ten and you can feel it really working your muscles nice creating burn and improvement and also you're getting nice rest mixed in and you're doing it for an hour which is endurance it's all mixed in all really really nice and I have to say that um, Long workouts real, their value is going easy for a long time. Their value is in uh, injury prevention and also um, teaching you pacing and the value of going the right pace. and uh, you know by the end of going a long time at an easy pace, you start to appreciate and it starts to become natural. Uh, you know, the right pace to go long. And that's why one of the best things for Ironman racing is to go out and do long, long, long days because it teaches you to appreciate uh, not overdoing it and how slow you actually need to go. So there's ways to shortcut this system. I won't say hack because that's a hacky term. Uh, you can do an all out bike time trial for half an hour and just kill yourself. And then take uh, about 98% of that, of those watts. And then I'd say probably maybe more like 97 uh, or to 95 even of those watts. And that is your threshold. And then for an Ironman, take like 72% of that. It kind of depends on how many Ironmans you've done. 72% of that 95%. And, uh, that is the, is what you should average and stay really close to the entire bike ride. And then you'll have your best possible run, right? So you can shortcut this stuff by, um, with some technology and knowing some formulas, you know, And then you can go out and uh, do it too hard on a training day and learn the hard way like I did. I want to get to Uh, Saturday. I went out and I didn't run the night before. I can't remember why. Something came up family-wise, I guess. And um, so I was really nice and fresh. I just swam the day before. It's nice and fresh. And I went out and did my typical... I'm doing a routine bike ride. There's a lot to be said for the same routine. Uh, That way you look for if you keep one thing constant then you can mix up other variables and see the impact you know so if i'm always riding the same three and a half hour loop like 75 76 mile bike ride if i'm always riding that same bike ride saturday morning and sunday morning right i can mess with fuel i can mess with pacing i can mess with all kinds of stuff hydration and see what the impacts are and what makes me faster and what makes me slower um and the exact same route, you know, do I take these hills a little bit easier, right? If you keep changing things up, then it's really hard to see what actually makes an improvement. And the uh, the cool thing is, is so Saturday I went out and because I was freshish, I went out and I had energy. Oh, and I've added in, you know, like scrambled eggs with my breakfast. And uh, I la- added in some hornet juice with my fuel. And I forgot what else I did a little bit more carbs before breakfast, uh, before going out. Oh, and some green tea, that was the big one. I had matcha powder, which is green tea powder, uh, to my um, fuel mix. And I think I added too much because I was off the chain, flying around. Daniel gave up after a while riding with me. He goes, you're going too fast. And I was like, I feel great. Everything's great. I'm doing really, really good today. I didn't run yesterday, so I got lots of power in my legs, like that. And uh, so I was cruising, and uh, let's see, my threshold is 300 watts for an hour, is probably right about where I'm at right now. And I did 250 watts, 251 actually watts, to uh for three and a half hours out there and i was just hammering man and having the time of my life and it's a hilly route it was windy i averaged 22.7 miles per hour on a training ride uh three and a half hours of doing that and then i still felt pretty good going into the evening oh and this is the key oh and i went out for a run that that evening hour and a half and ran almost 10 miles right and then went over to uh, my brother-in-law's house and watched the Aggie football game. Aggies beat uh, Arizona something something Sun Devils and then um, the thing was this is man you got to pay attention to this it's like a movie with a key character just walks in and disappears. My father-in-law as I was getting on my bike pedaling off and this is the guy that's done the Boston Marathon back in the 80s. He qualified a bunch of times. Like, dude's freaking awesome runner. And uh, he, he's real calm and cool. He's a dentist. And he's like, so it's kind of humid out today. Sure is hot. <laughs> like that. And I go, yep, sure is. Like that. I took off pedaling. <laughs> that should have been my cue. Dude, you are going to freaking cook out there. And, uh, <clears throat> actually he said that Sunday morning when I went out for my second ride. Yeah, that was it. He said it Sunday morning. So anyway, uh, so everything was good Saturday, woke up Sunday and, uh, got my bike stuff together, heading out for the same route, was going to repeat everything from the day before, but let me turn off my Garmin here for my swim, 3,400 yards, 3,600, 3,600 yards. And then, um, the, uh with less green tea right everything else but everything the same but a little bit less green tea and see if that felt better and I'm pedaling along and that's that's the morning when I got on my bike and he goes sure is humid out here like that and then uh like yep and I took off going got no time to waste man I can't listen to other people other people are downers dude I need to go <laughs> I should have listened because man I am stuck behind me car that's going nowhere, because I get about halfway through this ride, I get an hour and a half, no, I get two hours in, and my stomach starts getting sour, like, I start burping a little bit, things don't feel right, I feel a little bit sick, and I'm like, well, this sucks, right, this uh, workout's going to be compromised, but, but, this is really, really good training, Okay, this is the incredible training, right? I'm, I'm as fit as I can get my dumb old body, you know, with the amount of time as, as I have. Now I'm just kind of like adding the icing on the cake, you know, like, uh, you know, running here, running, looking for little things kind of here and there. So the, the problem is day one of the uh, ultra baby that I'm doing, I'm not worried about. That's a, a three hour swim at most probably. And then a 90-mile bike ride, it's the first day. I'll be nice and fresh. You know, 90-mile bike ride's not that bad. I'm doing 76 on a regular basis, you know, so we're talking another 14 miles or something. Nothing, you know. Uh, (laughs) I say nothing, dude. I really do appreciate, like, that's a shitload. Anyway, but I'll be like, I'll be fine, you know. Day two bike ride is 170-something miles, and that is going to be an M big time, that is going to suck, it's going to be really, really, really painful, so what happens on day two, just like this is my day two of a big weekend of training, when I get out there, and my stomach goes sour, and this happens all the time, especially at Ultraman, people throwing up, whatever, they can't take on nutrition, but they got to keep on going, so they're running off of just body fat, and whatever they can keep down, and it's pure agony. So how do, you, how do you deal with that if that happens to you? Because it could easily happen to you despite your best laid plans, right? And so I'm like, oh, man, keep going. Okay, what do you do? Let's pretend it's ultra baby. What do you do? You're a couple hours in to, what is it? Like a, what is that, like a seven, eight hour ride or something like that? Nine hour, I don't know. I'd have to look it up it's gonna be freaking forever what do you do that many hours and you've got that many hours left you can turn anything around as long as you're not injured right and so what do you do and I go uh okay slow down drink more water uh drink less fuel or no fuel At first I tried less fuel and that didn't work and then it was no fuel and then uh more water more water more water and uh Try to get as arrow as you can, and, uh, you know, pedal uphill, and then cruise, uh, coast, as I say on the show, coast the uh, downhills, just relax, chill, and be patient, and hardly put any effort into it at all, and um, you'll, uh, this is good, good training, to be kind of a little bit, just, it's only going to last for, you know, an hour, hour and a half, so, It would be nothing compared to if this happened to you on race day. So just dig in and uh, see what happens and see if you can recover this. So I did. I uh, rode uh, my typical route all the way home. And uh, then Emily goes, what do you weigh? I get home and she goes, man, you look like crap. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm okay. You know, uh, I read, I, I rode on the edge of crap. I didn't keep pushing the pace. I just kind of kicked back and kind of just rode out there. And it uh, turned out later on that day, it was a heat index of 106 degrees. It was 102 like in the driveway or something. And then uh, uh, she goes, uh, What do you weigh? Have you weighed yourself? And I was like, uh, No, I haven't. I'm like, Damn it, I should have weighed myself. I you know, pain is a really great teacher, so I think I'm finally going to start remembering to weigh myself before these big weekends. I've got it in my notes, you know, to weigh myself before these big weekends. Uh, that way I can stay on top of hydration. And um, I got on the scale, and my normal weight right about now has been around 182, 183, and the scale said 172.9. <laughs> And we both, are 171.9? I don't know. But anyway, extremely low 170s. And we both looked at that scale. And Emily's been keeping an eye on my way too, I guess. And uh, we both go, holy crap. I go, man, I've lost 10 pounds in like two days. And she goes, you're an idiot. What are you doing? And I'm like, it's cool. I feel okay. I don't feel great. I feel okay. And uh, so then, but now I was kind of bummed, you know, like um, being that dehydrated. And with the heat like it is right now, um, I decided it was the best idea to not run uh, Sunday night, and uh, which was last night. And then um, like I normally do, so I had to kind of compromise my workouts a little bit. And then this, uh, like I recorded earlier, I uh, got in a nice sleep and I've been hydrating and I ate a lot of extra food yesterday because food carries water with it. And I got my weight uh, up this morning. I weighed myself to 181. So I gained was that, like eight pounds or so, uh, seven pounds, eight pounds in, um, in a day. So that's uh, getting some hydration back in me and I feel a whole lot better. And the, uh, the next thing is um, the body feels a little bit tweaked. So it's Labor Day weekend. I got plenty of time to work out and that was the whole point was to uh, find time to work out extra time. And, uh, because hydration's off and, uh, other crap is just off, right? Cause that kind of exhausts you a little bit, even though I feel okay. I decided to uh, just do, um, interval stuff, you know? So, uh, that, that's not <clears throat> six intervals of three minutes, you know, doesn't, it wears you out one way, but it doesn't, it wears you out muscular wise, but it doesn't wear you out endurance wise so much. You're not so like, uh, tweaked out, you know, cause you've been out for three hours. And, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, run half on the treadmill and a car almost got hit. And then the, uh, the other half, um, uh, uh, well, my other workout was a swim in the, uh, in the pool, which is nice and cooling, and um, I wanted to say something else about doing interval work, and the reason I noticed when I was biking this weekend, I'm pedaling hard, and I'm going uphill, that um, uh, I, I had just tons of breathing room uh, to go without getting tired, and what the nice thing about intervals is um it raises your vo2 max right so it raises your oxygen capacity your and it raises how effective your lungs are and you can do the same workouts let's say you have vo2 max of uh that's uh, a is lower than vo2 max of B. b b is higher you can do the same workout same pace and everything and it doesn't phase you as much uh if you have the higher VO2 max you're not near as near your potential and so when you go up things and and uh, which invariably happen and you have to push the pace a little bit you have to huff for air um, that huffing for air um, isn't taxing your uh, your metabolism and and your musculature system like all that crap it's just it's just like whatever I've seen worse cuz it has you've shown it worse a lot worse and it's prepared for worse and everything's relative you know so um, I've noticed since I've started doing um, mixing more intervals back in that I'm able to sustain a little bit faster um, just cruising speed you know just just, uh, you know, just average speed um, without it bothering me because my VO2 max is higher and my lungs are stronger uh, mechanisms for delivering energy oxygen to the uh, muscles they're more effective, so it just doesn't seem to bother me as much. But so it used to bother me. I remember when I didn't do uh, interval work at all for a long time. This was before I ever heard of marathon or anything. I'd just been, I was getting overtrained. This is like 2011. I was getting overtrained. I was just going and going and going and doing more and more and more volume. Um, I could, I couldn't do an interval at all for any reason because my lungs couldn't do the work. And then one time I was running uphill and I just pushed the pace a few times and I felt my lungs like literally crack open to uh, to do the work. <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, they're here. <laughs> let's uh, let's do some stuff." Anyway, that's it. Back at the his house, got things to do. See if Kai's home from school and check y'all later out. Bing. Hola, qué pasó? All right, it's Wednesday morning just left the pool for a nice swim driving to W to the ERK get some work done work and I was doing something in the pool that I thought I would share with y'all to uh help improve your uh, your speed and your endurance I guess that's pretty much everything that this show's about okay the uh the trick is well let's say what the problem is the problem with a lot of us and I think even of us, even those of us that are pretty good at doing uh, different sports and long distance stuff, and I'm talking specifically about endurance stuff, is we don't have a good feel for different gears. And if you knew how hard to go, then you would go the correct level of intensity for the distance, right? And that's, I mean, when you think about it, that's always the, uh, I wouldn't call it an excuse, that's always the problem. Uh, Went too hard at the beginning, or went too easy at the beginning, and then I just didn't know, you know, or I got sick because I was going too hard, or, you know, I'm mad because I could have gone harder, and I didn't have enough time at the end uh, to catch up, so the, uh, what made me think about this uh, a lot was uh, swimming with Daniel and uh, he can actually swim pretty good but he uh, doesn't have a lot of experience swimming and uh, I was telling him he needs to do um, ramp-ups where you slowly increase your intensity in the pool over, uh, I don't know, over five to ten minutes. And um, when you do that, until you're finally, like, peaked out. And then you take a break for a minute, you know, and then slowly do it again. Uh, see, the problem is, is whatever sport you're weak in, <laughs> in my case, many sports, you, uh, you don't know your gears, you know. And somebody, one reason that going out and doing long rides and long runs and long swims and long anything is it teaches you respect for the different paces and intensities, so you don't do the wrong thing, right? It's experience. Well, if you just go easy all the time, and then you go out on race day, uh, then you don't know uh, your different gears that you have. And uh, and I give you the example working with Daniel. Uh, with him, I was saying he, and almost everybody will say this. He'll say. Uh, uh, well, I've only got like two gears, you know, slow, and some people will say slower, or uh, slow, or um, fast, right? But an experienced athlete will have many, 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 many gears, and I would say in swimming, oh my gosh, you know, I probably have like I probably have like six to eight different gears. Of what I know going, you know, this hard, whatever it happens to be at the moment, will do. And those gears mean I can also work with those gears based on how tired I am, right? Uh, And I'm like, okay, well, I can go this intensity, but because I've been going this long uh, already before I started going this intensity, then I'm really asking for trouble, you know? And that comes from experience. So... um, a great thing to do while training is to do gradual ramp-ups, and I've never seen any other coach, uh, and that's not saying that none don't do it, uh, none do it, The uh, what I'm saying is I've never seen another coach coach this, is very gradual ramp-ups over many minutes, and Uh, you slowly add just a little bit more speed and you slowly add a little bit more speed and just a little bit more speed and a little bit more speed. And like a good example is uh, you get on the bike and on the trainer, you add like three to five beats per minute. Uh, Yeah, three to five uh, heart rate beats per minute, right? On average, try to keep it around like 150 and then try to go to 155 and then slowly after another minute you go to 160 and after another minute you go to 165 right and in the pool you don't have that but you can go go just a little bit harder and then you go just a little bit harder for another 50 or 100 yards and then just another little bit harder for 50 or 100 yards and uh running you know you can increase the incline on the treadmill just the tiniest bit Or, you know, you can learn to do it by feel. Like increase the speed just the tiniest bit or watch your heart rate. And what this does is it teaches you, very quickly, it teaches you all your different gears and all your different speeds. So you're very familiar with them. And what does this do? Well, on race day... Oh, man, I'm never going to get off this road. What happened? On race day, you end up um, being so familiar with how painful... Uh, And your scale Your range and your relativity Of your different effort levels are That when you're um, When you're going kind of medium hard That actually means something to you And you're like Well As long as I stay below this other level of pain (laughs) That you've regularly visited You know that you can keep going for a while longer You know Uh, The big mistake Is because you've is to know, well, the big thing to know is because if you go this hard, say, like, a, you actually know what a 10 out of 10 feels like, if you go that hard, you know that you're going to blow up in about 30 seconds to a minute, so don't go that hard, right, and you know that if you go, like, a 6 out of 10 or 7 out of 10, man, that's like nothing, you know, and then if you go, like, 8 out of 10, then you're like, ooh, man, you know, you've only got so many minutes of this, you could probably do about... 30 40 minutes of that, and then uh, you go, yeah, like uh, nine out of ten, you can do like 15 minutes of that at most, and you've and because you've done it in practice, and then you've recovered from that, and uh, the rest of the day, you know what it does to you, and you're just like, holy crap, there's a real runner right here, and he's running his ass off, go, dude, go, (laughs) but anyway. Again they're called I like to call them ramp ups and they're just amazing. so I was doing them in the pool and I was swimming along and, and uh, it, well, this is what was going on in my mind. I'm like, okay, pay attention to this feel right here um, because as long as you stay below this level of burn, don't visit this level of burn that you're doing right now at the um, during the ultra baby. This is too hard because you realize after a few minutes that you can't sustain it right? So you're training yourself for the race. It's pretty cool. And then, um, by going over speed and over strength um, on a regular basis, you're training your body to be faster and stronger anyway. So you're toughening yourself up, which is uh, really cool. The trick to doing these is actually going um, after you do one is to recover fully for a few minutes, like go like super super slow, and regain your your. Uh, Body and your your <laughs> your stability and your clarity, and I then revisit it again. That's really cool. I love them ramp ups. All right, that's it. Out, bang. Oh, I guess I should mention that uh, if you find training information on this, show, on this show valuable, make sure that you visit zentrathon.com and um, help support the show. Uh, You can do donations on the left-hand side. And uh, yeah, I love it when I get feedback that way. It helps me uh, keep coaching out there and uh, helping people get stronger, faster, better so we can have just a worldwide community of awesome athletes that can go out there and have fun on race day. All right, that's it, bang. All right, got two things for you. Just chilling on my lunch break and uh, going by Gander Mountain, probably. See if I can get any. Uh, got several things. Going to see if I can find any new uh, shirts for work, and maybe some cool pants. Uh, <clears throat> trying to clean up stuff, you know, because we get a lot of clutter in our lives, and especially in developed countries. We have too much crap instead of not enough crap. You know, there's uh, parts of the world where they can put everything that they own into a small box, and uh, we've got a huge problem over here with way too much just stuff, not that it's worth anything, we think it's worth something, but it's really not, and uh, I'm going to wait while this guy pushes a baby jogger across the street, way to go, dad, cool, anyway, the uh, thing is, you get something new, uh, throw out something old, right, and then... Well, then I was like, man, I could actually throw out a couple of things old. <laughs> It'd probably be smarter. And then my natural tendency, and probably a lot of people, is now you got to set up a rule, right? Got it all figured out. This is what you do. And then it's like, well, what happens when I, if I get something, every time I get something new, I throw out two things old. Well, then, oh my gosh, my rule's going to break when I uh, have not enough things to throw out anymore because, well, then... you know it's like well then now I can't do this because this this all figured out thing isn't going to uh, happen correctly and uh, this formula and it's like no you can change the formula you know wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time (laughs) so I could go throwing a two or three things out whenever I get something new and then uh, and then until I uh, get down to just like uh, throw one thing out when I get something new anyway that's interesting another thing is uh we had a little episode with kai last night where uh, i told him to turn off the tv and start reading a book and uh you could tell the addiction to tv and internet stuff like that like he threw a fit you know a totally inappropriate fit and um we all get like this whenever something uh we're really attached to something and somebody tries to take it away, or it goes away. And um, Emily and I were talking about it, and I said there was also another time when uh, we were sitting in his classroom, his parents meet the teachers night, and uh, he kept fidgeting and asking if he could go out into the locker area, and it was inappropriate for him to do that. And I was like, "No, dude, you need to be able to learn." And I was telling Emily this too. He needs to be able to learn to just stand still, and for a few minutes, you know. <laughs> And I know, you know the whole thing with making kids stand still is, like, really impossible. But, no, you need to be able to learn to not have to do something and just, you know, calmly sit and, uh, and just enjoy the moment, which is something, uh, you know, children are great examples of uh, two different things. of The beginner mind and also the fidgety monkey mind, you know. Uh, so that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Hold on a second, I gotta do something here on the road. All right, I'm back. So, uh, we were telling Kai, you know, you need, and Emily and I were both saying, you know, you need to be able to, if somebody says just go read a book, that that's not the end of the universe. You know, uh, something funny that my mom told me uh, growing up, after I grew up, was that I was always, I could always play well by myself. Um, and I think this was an effect of having an older brother that would pick on me. And, didn't like me so he would beat me up <laughs> if I tried to play with him so he would give me some Legos and uh, a book you know and some Star Wars uh, toys and I would just go you know into my room or in a corner or something and just go play by myself and I learned how to you know self soothe uh, which is really really nice and uh, we were telling Kai somebody and this is good advice for all of us you need to be able to uh, have minimal uh, entertainment and be able to entertain yourself. You know, that's a calm, soothing mind that doesn't need to be pacified like a baby. And let's see, what was the other thing? Um, oh, I was doing... This is interesting. I was doing some math on the Ultra Baby. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, that swim is probably going to take me three hours. And... um the bike ride four and a half hours so all together we're talking uh seven and a half hours so then you add a little bit more time in there so we're going to say eight hours that's day one and the nice thing is is the rules official rules of Ultraman and this is we're trying to go trying to go by Ultraman rules as much as possible the official rules of Ultraman is uh 12 hours per day I think I've been told So day one for me is uh, eight hours, probably, you know, and then there's all kind there could be gear failure, like all kinds of crap. And we're talking 6.2 mile swim uh, and 90 mile bike ride. And then, uh, and I was like, crap, that's a long time. I've been doing five-hour back-to-back training days. Uh, but you know what? Actually, when I think about it, it's not five hours continuous. But it could have been. I mean, I could have just kept going. But the, um, then it's uh, so it's like add another three hours, man. Jeez. And then uh, day two looks pretty painful. If I average 19 miles per hour on the bike, um, then that's... Um, which on a triathlon bike with a good arrow position... And uh, just moderate terrain where I live, 19 miles per hour is um, very uh, doable, supposedly. And we'll see. Uh, then that's a nine-hour day. <laughs> like, holy crap, nine hours. And then, uh, then on the run, uh, if I average, I think it's like an 11-minute mile or something like that on the run, then it's a nine and a half hour. So we're probably talking 11 uh, 11 minute mile run is nine and a half hour day. So we're probably talking a 10 hour day. So because you want to round, you don't want to round down. Oh, I could probably, you know, eke out like, uh, etch out, eke out, you know, some minutes here and minutes there and save time. No, probably not. And and, uh, you need to really pace yourself and pretty much go as slow as you possibly can. As uh, lots of people have said, uh, Rich ritual, for example, is it's not how fast you can go, it's how slow you can go <laughs> and not stop, right? You got to go at a pace where you're not going to stop. And so basically you train yourself up so that your easy pace is actually quite quick, right? And that's nice. On the on the bicycle, my easy pace, on the tri-bike, my ridiculously slow pace is 19 miles an hour, Um but that, and that's fast, man. On a road bike, that's that would be really hauling. Uh, but on that tri bike uh, with the good position and staying arrow and all that stuff, it's about 19 miles an hour, which is uh, that's great. You know, we'll see on race. This is all just guessing. Um, I don't want to say what I'm going to do. But what it what uh, is nice is. And the smart thing to do is start doing some math ahead of time and start figuring out your pace, your time that you think it's going to take you so now you can start planning out fuel and um, realistic times of fatigue, you know, and like what time you're probably going to finish and what you're going to do after that. And then if you're going that slow, well, then you can eat uh, more fat, and uh, protein and stuff like that, because the the slower you go, the easier your uh, digestive system works, you know? And like, um, you can even start thinking like, uh, there's portions of the bike ride, because like in a more normal terms, like we start talking about like Ironman Canada and races like that. um, The downhill sections is where you would eat more food, uh, because it's easier on your stomach, because you can coast a little bit. So like Ironman Canada has a big downhill section, And, you know, as you crest the hill, you could pile on a whole bunch of calories. And then as you're cruising down um, that 20, 30 minute descent, you know, your stomach can sit there and and suck in some food. But on the the Ultra Baby, there's definitely, you know, downhills where uh, you start timing things. Like, you know, I could eat more on this general grade where my heart rate's gonna be lower general downhill grade and then uh, don't eat while climbing this uh, one section Um, or actually maybe eat just as you're topping off climbing that way it passes into your gut and then uh, ah shoot I don't know who knows dude (laughs) like trying to figure this out but uh, definitely you want to start my whole point is you want to start thinking about stuff way ahead of time and start going oh and you start visualizing what you're gonna do and uh, now now, I think I've kind of got the course laid out. I've kind of got times figured out. I'm going to probably sit with that for a few days. And then the next thing is contingency planning. So that what happens if, right? If you have a flat tire number three, right? Where are we going to get spare tubes from? Well, it's like, well, we need to call Aggieland. Well, you know what? Maybe I need to tell Aggieland, that's a bike shop. Maybe I need to tell them where we're doing this so that uh, they have an idea of um if they want to come out and help some uh you know where we're gonna be you know things like that and um yeah all right i need to go eat out bang hey guys i want to go ahead and wrap up this show we've recorded enough a lot of yammering but i was just having some ideas that i thought i'd share with you and uh, i was thinking about uh writing up something about all my failures and uh, in endurance sports. And I started writing out a list of things and it's really funny, the <laughs> stupid stuff that's happened to me and that I've done, uh, trying to do this sport. And it made me think, um, there's a, uh, <clears throat> there's a freedom in being okay to fail, right? So if, uh, if you have like a safety net under you and you're walking a tightrope, then you tend to walk the, uh, the tightrope, uh, with a little bit, less uh fear and uh, less uh shuddering and and uh, stiff-legged and, and shaky uh because if you fall, you know, so what? And we've got this ego thing where we're afraid to fail, you know, like if you uh if you DNF, do not finish out of a out of an Ironman or an ultra marathon or a long swim, you know, um then uh but no matter what, you know, uh that, you know you can't fail because then what will people think you know but then uh, there's people that operate on a whole other level way above that you see it at the pro level all the time they DNF <laughs> because they wreck or they overheat you know and they're racing and they're going into it with their full their best and in their culture this is the culture of the elites you know if you uh, if you fail then um, then it's okay. You know, there's another race down the road. And not not all of them are like that, but most of them are. And and uh, we have this problem in age group uh, racing and regular racing where we're so afraid of that. And, uh, um, and I think it, it makes you make mistakes because you're so worried about failing that you do things wrong instead of, you know, just the relaxation and free, the freeness of, like, free falling, you know? If you know your parachute's going to work then who cares what you do between uh, jumping out of the plane and uh, whatever, 1,000 feet or 2,000 feet. I don't know, whatever the the elevation is that you pull the cord. (laughs) People that know are like, oh, my God, dude, that's too close to the ground. But uh, uh, I've DNF'd twice. I'm trying to think. I've almost DNF'd uh, at least another time. Many, many times, actually, besides that. And, uh, but there's a, there's a lot of freedom in, uh, not being afraid to, um, to fail. Because, I mean, really, what's gonna happen, you know? Nothing. But if you don't try, if you don't try because you're afraid to fail, then you never even tried. And chances are you'll, you'll, you'll finish it, you know? And then you get that one under your belt. And if you kind of go at it, just, th- you know, your, your form and your relaxation and your happiness and your, your, uh, Your experience is so much different if you're carefree. You're not careless, but carefree about what other people think. You know, like Phoebe and Friends where she was showing Rachel how to run. You run like somebody's chasing you. Like really like somebody's chasing you. And it's really, really funny. So I wanted to go ahead and mention that to not be afraid. I think I've mentioned that before on a show. Not be afraid to DNF, you know. Um, Just have fun out there. Okay, there's that. And uh, I wanted to give a repeat Uh, sponsor mention, Chris Hague Racing. And uh, check him out, Chris Hague, H-A-G-U-E.com, or racing.com, and uh, Sound Probiotics, which is sponsoring the Ultra Baby officially. They are pitching in, and uh, give them a shout. And also, I've been chatting uh, with the owner of Culprit Bicycles excuse me culprit bicycles and uh, they make really wicked bikes and uh, they've got a press release coming out soon with some uh, cool stuff that they want you to check out so uh, give them a shout and say that I I sent you over there uh, for kicks you can look at a bike that they released a couple of years ago called the culprit legend and uh, what they're capable of making and this was two years ago so think about what they're able to do now and uh, they got some stuff coming out soon, probably at Kona or something like that. And the rest of it is top secret. I can't talk about it. I can't say I saw a photo of something that I'm not supposed to tell anybody about what I saw, <laughs> which is, that's cool, man. So check them out, Culprit Cycles. Uh, check them out on Facebook and say, Brett on Zentry mentioned you and, uh, or mentioned me, mentioned you, yeah, and that's why I'm there. So there's all that. Uh, everybody stay safe out there. Uh, I'm uh, just going to keep on training. Um, I've had uh, this past weekend where I overdid it and then had to suffer from dehydration and kind of catching back up again. And um, Oh, yeah. And uh, the, uh, the other thing is, um, so I'm going to scale back the training intensity some for a while. I can tell I need to scale back the intensity and just kind of go back to volume for a little bit. So you, you vacillate, you know, intensity easy. Intensity, easy volume. Intensity, easy volume. And a rest day kind of here and there as they pop up. And uh, we had a meeting after school, you know, with Kai's teachers and that was time to take rest. And the, um, the other thing, the value of experts, man, is so great. I went to the, uh, the running store, now that we've got a real running store in town, and asked them, asked them about the Adidas Boost. And the running store owner of uh, Brazos Running, so cool. He came out and he had the pair of shoes that I was looking for, and he took them off his own feet and I put them on mine. We had the same size shoe, and uh, the uh, uh, I liked them. And uh, we talked for a while, and I said, "Hey, man, I got pain under my heel, and I'm, I'm the the common thing that people mistake it for is uh, a heel spur, it's a little bone growth." And he said, "Does it hurt when you first get up?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I know all that." <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure, man, it's not a heel spur because this thing is like persistent. And, uh, God, it feels so weird. I've had plantar fasciitis before that didn't feel like this, but you, you can have a same injury, different ways, like slightly different spots and it feels slightly different. And, uh, and he's like, nah, it's probably, it's gotta be plantar fasciitis. And he said, uh, massage the heel. This is a really cool tip. Massage the heel, um, Uh, before you walk on it, see what happens is, is when you sleep and your heart rate drops and you got your feet elevated, well, you're not getting blood flow to the, uh, damaged area and you're not repairing it as much as you could be. Um, and when you stand up and walk around, you're getting blood flow to it and it helps it feel better. You know, it stretches it out, gets, uh, the feel good stuff going to it. Um, so when you wake up and you've, it's been in a zombie like state for a while, it's, got, it's getting a little bit of rigor mortis in there, you know? And uh, I guess not really. But the, uh, that's why it hurts. And he said, before you walk on it, uh, massage it, the area, uh, for a little while to uh, get blood flow to it. And then when you start walking on it, it doesn't feel anywhere near as bad. And I was like, that's really cool. And, uh, and my own experience, uh, and that's the, well, my own experience is last night, uh, in the middle of my sleep, many times last night, I rolled over, kind of woke up for a second, I would uh, stretch out my foot and um, that's how I kind of cured my piriformis syndrome, which is where your butt cheek freaking hurts, is I learned in my sleep, I trained myself to quit sleeping with my left leg splayed over on its side so that my left side of my foot was laid flat against the bed. And uh, so I can train myself to uh, stretch out my foot in the middle of the night. And if it's a blood flow issue where it goes so long without blood flow, well, I can train myself to uh, massage the bottom of my foot several times a night if that'll help. And anyway, my whole point is the value of experts. You got a question and you need help, man, uh, the worst thing you can do <laughs> sometimes <laughs> is go to go to WebMD, right? And you'll, uh, Your heel will hurt and you'll come out with pancreatic cancer. Because that's what you think, that's what they think you got. And uh, always, it's always pancreatic cancer and, uh, and a brain tumor. And the, uh, even though your heel hurts. And the, uh, the thing is, is go to your local um, expert and you don't have to believe what they say. You know, don't believe everything that you hear because a lot of it's crap, you know. But listen. There's a difference between believing and listening. Listen and look for input and then everybody's a little bit different. So you can kind of piece together your own uh, solution that works for you. And, um, and uh, yeah, man, like uh, I took my bike in the bike shop. I'm like, what's going on with this? And they're like, oh, it's probably this, that, and the other, you know, and let them work on it. Boom, that's what it was. You know, so you you can build up a network. There's all this mastermind crap where hacking your ultimate, uh, uh you know, work group to, for production results at your job, you know, and get a mentor and a mastermind group. And so I'm like, dude, that's never going to happen with me, but you can have a mastermind group of friends and experts. I would pick experts over friends because if your friend you're you are like your friends and if you don't know what the problem is <laughs> then probably your friends don't either but become friends or acquaintances with um experts at the uh, run running store a real running store not academy where they don't know what they're selling you but the uh a real running store the real bike shop and uh my homeboys over at uh swim shops of the southwest uh is uh really rad and um in the Houston area and uh, yeah talk to people and say hey man I've got this symptom what do you think and don't put an idea in their head of what you think it is just say what you your symptoms and what do they think uh, because you can influence somebody's response by kind of leading them with answers and putting them in their head and uh, just uh, just say i got these symptoms what do you think and see what they say it's pretty cool alright if you find value help support Zentri I already told you how go to zentrathlon.com, left hand side and also uh, stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out